Jams, Creeps and Coffee podcast. Playback begins in 3, 2, 1. The Easter feast from 1457 is like something straight out of Game of Thrones. Dracula invited 500 boyars to that feast, seized them, and had them impaled. You are still alive when you're impaled. For a while. Because of this and his reign of terror, he got the name The Impaler. He also refused to pay taxes to the Sultan, stating that if he has to pay, the Ottoman subjects in his lands must remove their turbans. When they refused, Dracula had the turbans nailed to their heads. The Empire quickly responded. In the spring of 1462, Sultan Mehmed II and 200,000 soldiers attacked Wallachia. Along with Mehmed came Vlad's brother Radu, who had converted to Islam. Dracula lost the battle. He then decided to burn the southern part of his country and poison the wells. He knew the Ottoman army quite well and tried to turn their invasion into a nightmare. Wouldn't you like to see something strange? Come with us and you will see. This is our town of Halloween. This is Halloween. This is Halloween. Pumpkins scream in the dead of night. This is Halloween. Everybody make a scream. It's our town. Everybody scream in our town of Halloween. Hi guys! <laughs> if you have Hello. a little guest, it's Halloween month. Yes! Spooktober. It's Spooktober, and me and Steph are a little bit excited. I am um, wearing my pants. I hate Halloween. Mick hates Halloween, but yeah, me and Steph are excited. I am living it. Why? We got Owen involved as well, obviously. Hello. Hi, why, why is Halloween so good? I, I'm actually with you here. I don't actually like Halloween. I just like the night Rubbish. before Christmas. It's just full of tat. I, I yeah, do agree, I do agree with you. It's dressing up and it's all the spooks and yeah. the joyfulness that is the spookiness. It's basically yeah. the only time of year that me and Charlotte get to dress how we like and not get to... Um, Publicly humiliated yeah. <laughs> because we are goth as fuck. And yeah. people don't like that. You're not goth as fuck. Well. Not so much anymore. As she says, sit here with an Oogie Boogie <sighs> t-shirt on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, saying that though, I opened my wardrobe October the 1st and was like, I'm going to get all my Halloween clothes out. Yes. And Did then you... I realised that I lost shitloads of weight and I've chucked them all in the bin because they are too big. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, well. And Did then... you know that you can get like uh, Halloween knits now? Like you can get like Christmas jumpers. Yeah, I want them all. I know. Knits. I love yes. knitting. Uh, oh, knitting. I thought you were like Halloween hair bugs. Oh, no, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Not those knits. <laughs> no, I love a jumpers because autumn is the season of jumpers yes and halloween ones with spooky stuff on win-win i'm all over it i'm all over it it's fucking awful and me and steph are not your basic pumpkin spice latte bitches oh no oh no oh no we went to costa and we had bonfire spice (laughs) and mate i'm telling you now that was really nice it was really good not gonna lie the fact that you go to starbucks is kind of basic it basic bitch But it's the, yeah, saying that we are coffee addicts, we go anywhere and yes, everywhere that are. has coffee. Yeah, but Owen, I mean, you've just showed us a really interesting video. What was it? Yes, that was a part of a clip from a man 
who was known as Vlad the Impaler or Vlad Dracula. I got excited when you were you were typing in because I thought you were going to put Vladimir Putin in. <laughs> I like Vlad- Vladimir Putin. <laughs> I, mean, I like Vlad the Impaler because he's very fitting for Halloween. He is very yes, fitting because of his name Dracula, which is actually where the, the where the author of Dracula I can't remember his name. Bram Stoke. That's yeah. the one from Stoker. Stroker. Yeah, he Stroker. Stroker. <laughs> <laughs> it's where he actually got the um, inspiration of for the character Dracula off this guy. Was his name actually Dracula? Yes. Or well, was it, or was Dracula? Vlad... Dracul. So where did Vlad the Impaler come from? Where's it's, Vlad? Vlad's Vlad is name. His first That's name. his first name. Right. Or Vlad the Third, because his dad was also called Vlad and his granddad was also called Vlad. Okay, so, so it was, was Vlad Dracula his last name? Dracul yeah. was his was his last name, which translates to Dracula. Uh, it was his royalty name, wasn't it? Bl- sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, was he like royalty? Yeah, but he was the um, he was the pretty king much... of Transylvania. Yeah, well, not Transylvania. Well, where Transylvania is based off. So he had the accent. Well, trans- Transylvania is a real wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Let's all take a break to listen to Steph's Transylvanian accent. <laughs> <laughs> was that okay? Did Do it know? again. Do it again. I want to suck your blood. Brilliant. It's very, very good. Yeah. You're welcome. Dracula, yes. All I can think of is blah blah blah. I don't know where you get this blah blah blah. 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 I don't do the blah blah. <laughs> it was ba- ba- so yeah, he was basically ruler of this small country in I want to s- oh, Romania, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's in Romania. Yeah, uh, yeah. He got the nickname Vlad the Impaler purely because of his favorite method of killing his enemies, of shoving them on a spike from their ass and just letting them slide down as they slowly die and it comes out of their mouth. That's how nice. That's that's painful. Yes, very painful. He would sit and watch this. Wait, Whilst he was eating his dinner, he would just have these people dying at the end of his dinner table and watch. Watch, watch them slowly yeah, and go slow, down a yeah. stick. Yeah, mm, and I want kebabs. And, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> watch, darling. <laughs> Another really disturbing fact about this guy is that he liked to drink blood. Is what he would drink with his meals. He would just drink blood. Uh, it pig's blood, wasn't it? Thing. No, blood, human blood. Oh, just blood. Yeah. oh, I thought it was pig's blood. No, he would just drink blood. Fair enough. Was there any pros to this, or did he just like the taste? Th- Makes uh, your hair uh, shiny. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he was just a bit messed up. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah. Inbreeding. It's what it does. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, most okay. rules turn to be a bit yeah. six-fingered, yeah. don't they? <laughs> not, not a very nice man. Still like cool, nevertheless. Yeah, interesting right. death methods. Mm. Right, Charlotte. On intro. a separate note, I have a game. Wait, you haven't done the intro yet. Oh yeah. By the way, hi guys. We're Crimes, <laughs> Creeps, and Coffee. I'm Charlotte. That's Owen. Hello. He's our intern. And I'm new. And he's new. And we got the amazing Steph. That's me. Who, as you might have seen on our Instagram, has done a slit throat lately. That was fun. That was fun. I'm still stained with blood. She is. She's got bloody hands and everything. <laughs> and then we've got the awesome Nick. Oh, awesome. Kind of awesome this week. <laughs> Hello. Take that. Hello, friends and lovers. He's just a little bit awesome this week because he's not very well. He's a poorly lamb. Yeah, I've got AIDS. Rest Basically, we, me, Nick and Steph still have this dreaded cold. Yep. So, but Nick's only just getting it. So he's a little bit delicate. He's a flower. You both infected me. (laughs) Yeah, well, Sharon is Karen. I like how you have to be ill to be awesome now. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. that's it. Ill to be awesome. Put that (laughs) on the t-shirt. Ill to be awesome. So what are we doing today? Obviously it's Halloween. So we've decided for this month's theme that we're going to do cases that are based on films. Well, films that are based on cases, really. So there is quite a few true-to-life horror films that are out there. Yes. That me and Steph and Nick and possibly Owen, if he wants to fit one in, are going to (laughs) cover. I'm doing John Christie this week and it's not a case I know you guys have heard about. Mm -hmm. So I'll jump into that one in a little bit. 
Steph, who are you doing? Today, I am doing Annabelle. I, I don't like it already. Yeah, it's awesome. It was a good one to do. The the doll. The doll. The, 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 the spook doll. Frickin' doll. Indeed, uh, the raggedy Anne. Oh no, I'll ask questions when we do it. <laughs> yes. It'll spoil it. It's a good one to look forward Before to. Before we start, I've got a news story that I'd like to read that I found. Yeah. I found it hilarious. Uh, somebody does get murdered. but um, Somebody gets murdered? Title is from the Metro, and the title is, or the headline rather, is Jealous Ex-Boyfriend Guilty of Killing Love Rival 18 with Help of Family. Wait, what? And this is like proper gangs of New York shit right here. It's it it was in England. Family love. So the uh, <laughs> yeah. So the story is as follows: A group of friends and family have been found guilty over the death of a teenager caught up in a toxic love triangle. Trainee plumber Daniel Grogan, twenty, became obsessively jealous after finding out Jay Sewell, eighteen, was seeing his ex-girlfriend Gemma Hodder. He threatened to kill his rival, rape his mother, and petrol Whoa. bomb his home over what? hundreds of chilling WhatsApp messages the old Bailey heard. That escalated. Quickly. Did, eh? extreme. So Grogan also visited the home of Miss Hodder, 18, armed with a kitchen knife and threw her to the floor. The trainee accountant managed to break free and locked herself in her car as neighbours came to her rescue. The court heard how Grogan poisoned his friends and family against Mr. Sowell ahead of a... Wait, who's Grogan? I've got lost already. Uh. <laughs> Grogan is the yeah, no, new wait, boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. New, new boyfriend. The court heard how Grogan poisoned his friends and family against Mr. Sowell ahead of a standoff near their home in Eltham, South East London. On December December 11th, Miss Hodder drove from Kent to see Grogan, accompanied by Mr. Sewell and some of their friends who had a baseball bat. Okay. Grogan and his group armed themselves with knives, hammers, a four-foot fireman's axe and wooden sticks and went to confront them, jurors heard. Court saw CCTV footage of the group battering Mr. Sewell's car with weapons. They also chased his friend, Charlie Pamphlet, now 19, who was stabbed in the back but survived. Mr. Sewell was fatally stabbed through the car window by Grogan's friend, Charlie Dudley, 25, jurors were told. Dudley, who lived a few, few doors from the Grogan denied murdering Mr. Sowell, injuring Mr. Pamphlet, what's a good name, Pamphlet, and violent disorder. Jory spent more than 56 hours in deliberation over 11 days. That's a long time. Before clearing him of the charge of murder, but they found him guilty of manslaughter, wounding, and the intent of violent disorder. Um, Daniel Grogan was found guilty of violent disorder, wounding, with intent, and murder. His father, Robert, 54, was found guilty of manslaughter. His mother was found guilty of violent disorder and manslaughter. And his sister, Francesca, was convicted of violent disorder, but cleared of other charges. So the whole family got done for it. It's like two families just having a massive brawl in it's Street. like gang warfare. Yeah. yeah it's like West Side Proper, Story. Yeah, you get the Except knife Except more death. No, I mean, somebody yeah. did die, but it's... Oh, wait, no, they did die in West Side Story. You're right. <laughs> Was there any kicking involved? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Angry man. you got to have clicking in a musical, haven't you? Yeah. Fucking it's a rubbish. Bit, a bit ex- excessive. Even. Yeah, it is. It is. Over a, over a love triangle. Yeah. Even an ex-girlfriend at that. Yeah, I've never come across that before, to that extent. No, me either. That's a new one on me. It's a bit strange. So, yeah. Things to do with the family. So, family bonding? Mm, yeah, maybe. It, it's good bonding it, exercise. Intense going to, family, family activities. Fun. Except now yeah. they're never ever going to see each other like, until they get out of prison. The final family bonding. No, her new boyfriend's dead. No, I know that, but the, his the family, family, family bonding. Oh, right. Okay. Well, they might all be in the same prison. No. No. <laughs> like a little family wing. <laughs> <laughs> so, with psychopaths and that in mind, because let's be honest, that guy was a bit of a psychopath. He was just in love. No, he was a dick. Crazy things when you're in love. So, we're going to play a little game let's play game i do like a game and it is who is more of a psychopath awesome so i'm going to give you a list of traits narcissism fearlessness emotional detachment rebelliousness and coolness under pressure you could play top trumps with this you can but it's basically top trumps yeah 
awesome. Okay. And I'm going to give you two pictures, yeah. and you're going to tell me who is more of a psychopath. So Oof. the first image is Charles Dickens or Adolf Hitler. So Charles Dickens has a narcissism of 21, fearlessness of 28, emotional detachment of 14, rebelliousness of 19, and coolness under pressure of 20. And if he was to do a psychopath test, he would get 73%. So do you guys think Adolf Hitler would be Wait, more Charles of a... Wait, Charles Dickens was a psychopath? If he was to do... Like, the test. The test. What's the top number out of what they're like these numbers well 100 100 percent 100 percent is the top percentage oh, where yeah, you, where where is. yeah where are you getting these numbers from though the psychology report what, oh, okay, so charles so. dickens is that where you're getting these numbers from feels a bit unfair considering he's dead and he can't well they're both <laughs> dead oh yeah obviously well <laughs> you may have gone to the moon okay can Hitler. we just yeah okay. i got this from an actual report okay all right. so this Sorry, is actually got found this is scientifically based this okay. is not just me winging it all right this is actually scientifically based so Okay. If he was, if Charles Dickens was to do a psychopath test yeah. in today's circumstances, he would score seventy three percent. Right. Okay. What do you think? Is Adolf Hitler more of a psychopath or less of a psychopath? Well, his narcissism would probably be a little tad higher. Yeah. What? Sorry. What are these out of the the individual numbers? Fifty. Fifty. Oh, so they're oh, out 50. of fifty. Yeah. Oh, right. So, okay. Yeah, he's been I mean. pretty high up on the narcissism. I, I I'd say like, probably in the forties. I feel say. like Hitler is meant to be more of a psychopath, but the whole point of you putting these up against. Oh, Start, no, other. don't pick it apart like that. You're ruining it for everybody. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm you're all allowed to have you, different you're opinions. You're taking the veil off. No, so I'm I mean, not. I'm saying, what are you saying? I'm going to go with Charles Dickens. Okay, Steph? I, I'm probably going to say Devil's Advocate and say Charles Dickens because I'm gonna Hitler's s- going to be the obvious choice. I'm going to say Hitler. Okay. Exactly. What? Yep, told you. Uh, Hitler was sick. If he was to do the test, he'd be 69%. And he's got f- a narcissism of 27, fearlessness of 10, emotional detachment of 27, rebelliousness of 18, and his coolness under pressure is only 15. Yeah, he did shoot himself when he got too much pressure. So who's more <laughs> wait, of a Wait, wait, let's go back. What the hell? was Charles Dickens up to back in the yeah. day? Well, here's another one. Adolf Hitler or Winston Churchill? So I've just told you all of Adolf's stats and he was at 69%. Okay. Do you think that Winston Churchill will be more of a psychopath or less of a psychopath? I'd say he's more say... fearless but less of a narcissist. Yeah, I want to say yeah, he was less yeah, of. I mean, he was a bit of a nutter. He was kooky. I wouldn't say it won't go as far to call him a psychopath so I'm going to go with Hitler. He did want to use chemical weapons on the Germans though. That when, was he, just... when even Hitler wouldn't do that. That's just war tactics. Mm. Yeah, but it was a against the uh, He's quintessentially rules British. of war. Um, he was very cool under pressure. He's cool as under pressure a, a, a pro-psychopathic trait. I'm not. Well, I I'm not going to give you... This is a game and you've okay. got to make your own judgments. Well, I'd say... Obviously, I know the judgments. I'd say Hitler. This. I'm going with Hitler. Yeah, I, was, I want to say Hitler. Because he came up with both. You are right. Oh, yeah. Winston Churchill was just 66% of a psychopath. Did you say Winston Churchill came up with the boat? Well, he did the boat thing for <laughs> Dunkirk. He did the boat thing for okay. Dunkirk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great history knowledge there. So his not Winston's narcissism was eighteen. His fearlessness was twenty five. His emotional detachment was twelve. His rebelliousness was seventeen. What's that noise? That is conkers falling that? off the tree because of the wind. Sorry, okay, guys. Sorry. And Winston's coolness under pressure was 20. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So, who's more of a psychopath, Winston Churchill or Oscar Wilde? I thought that was Robert Llewellyn Bowen then. <laughs> who's Oscar Wilde? Is he like the narrator guy? Author. No, author guy? Yeah. You're thinking yeah. of... Uh, I'm actually not sure who The narrator guy. Is. <laughs> the narrator I know the guy. Name, he's a writer, famous oh, yeah, writer. Yeah, he's a famous yeah, writer. He's a classic writer. He was... I don't know. I've never actually read any of his books. I can't He was like a dandy and he was famously 
uh, gay as well, wasn't he? He was yeah. quite open about his sexuality. So, who do you think? Oscar Wilde. I... Yeah, I'd say so. Look at that coat. I know, yeah, <laughs> that's a very uh, flamboyant picture. You can see his sass already. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to go with him purely because of the haircut. Yeah, fair enough. And you were right. Oh, yeah. So, Oscar Wilde has a narcissism of 21. His fearlessness is 19. His emotional detachment is 13. His rebelliousness is 22. His coolness under pressure is 24, making him 71% psychopath. How did you get these traits, though? Like, how did you how did how did you come up with the twenty one percent for narcissism? That's not twenty one percent. That's 21 oh twenty one for points. narcissism. Like, how do you know he was narcissistic at twenty one? Because of what he did at that, at like what he did okay. in his lifetime right. that would have led to very narcissistic oh, okay. personalities. Okay. okay nice so the next one is Oscar Wilde or Freddie Mercury. Oh, I want to say Oscar Wilde because Freddie yeah. Mercury is a babe. <laughs> he is, but if you look into it, he was a bit of a prick, but a babe. <laughs> what do you mean a bit of a prick? I mean. He wasn't a very nice person. Why? What? What have you heard? Look at the first one, narcissism. He was a very narcissistic. Well, he's a performer. You've yeah. got to have confidence. Well, there's a difference between having confidence and being narcissistic. I've heard he was quite nice. Yeah. And they'd probably call under pressure because he's a performer. Is that that a Queen joke? Under pressure. Oh, it wasn't, but you can have it. Under pressure. So, Nick. I'm going to go Oscar Wilde again. Yeah. I want to say Oscar Wilde. Oh, it's a tough one. You know what? I'm going to. He was very narcissistic person, but I don't really call him a psychopath, though. No. Flamboyant gay against flamboyant gay. So, you're going with Oscar Wilde as well? I am, yeah. You would be right. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's the lowest. So, Freddie is 20 20 points in narcissism. He has nine in fearlessness he has eight in emotional detachment 20 in rebelliousness coolness under pressure he had 10 making it 48 percent under pressure and last one freddie mercury or william shakespeare uh, oh billy oh william shakespeare yeah william shakespeare definitely i really don't know writing those dreadful little stories he did didn't he come up with like most of the english swear words that we've got going on I right say now? yeah i wouldn't say most no did he? most of them oh. yeah and he wore an earring look at him <laughs> Never if that doesn't say psychopath. Never trust a man with an <laughs> earring. So, Owen? Uh, I wouldn't say he's a psychopath. He just liked stories. I mean, he did write some... Like who, would you say, who would you say is more, though? Freddie or William? I'm going to go with Mr. Bill. Mr. Bill? Steph? I'm going to say Shakespeare because I freaking love Freddie Mercury. Yeah, I'm going to go with rubbish writer man over there. <laughs> you both, all three of you are wrong. Oh, wow. No way. Shakespeare has 13 in narcissism, 10 in fearlessness, 9 in emotional detachment, 11 in rebelliousness, and 21 in coolness and depression, leaving him at 46%. Uh, so the lowest. So the lowest mm. is William Shakespeare. Well, I wouldn't really call him a psychopath. I like Freddie Mercury's armpit hair in that photo, actually. I've just <laughs> yeah, it's a good that. one. He's very very armpit. Spewing out. It's a very so yeah, that's the game. Yeah, it was That's a good cute. game. It was a good game. Good to, know. to be honest, I found this game on Channel 4 Psychopath Test. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so, but it, I, it is from what, an actual study that they did. You haven't answered my question. What was Charles Dickens up to? I don't know. I just, Being a psychopath. What if he's... Kind of copied it off them know, and but... literally just cut it down in size because there's about 20 like slideshows in it. Okay. And I was like, oh, it's too long. Let's just do 10. Okay. So, That's yeah. Cool. Right, so we're getting on with the really this show. Are we calling it... What are we calling it? Spooktember spook this month. Spooktember? It's not October. It's October, not Tember. Um, <laughs> my mind's gone We back. had this. What is it? What was it? Spookoween. Spookoween. Spook-a-ween. Yeah. There we go. Brilliant. Because <laughs> we know the, our own names for stuff. Because <laughs> we are clever. <laughs> With a capital K. Yes. As it's Halloween, I figured I'd start off with one that, like I said, you guys might not know. I'm doing John Christie. Also known as the Rillington Place Strangler. 
A couple of years ago, I watched an oldie but a goodie film made in 1971 called Ten Rillington Place. It's got the dinosaur man in himself, Richard Attenborough, oh. and he plays John Christie, as well as my favourite, Dr. Ever, and Mr. John Hurt as Timothy Evans, and he's a character I'll get into later. There's also a TV show slash movie called Rillington Place 2, starring my bae, Timothy Roth. Isn't that Jesus, Clarice? that's Tim Roth. Tim Roth. I thought it was. Uh, Jesus, that he's, is Tim Roth. He looks like he's at some hard times. That is my bae. And oh, is that is that is that Clarice? No, no. It looks like Clarice. It's Hello, not Clarice. Clarice. Hello, Clarice. I mean, um, Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster. No. And Tim Roth in this plays, well, in Rillington plays, he plays, obviously, John Christie. He looks like he's dressed up as Wallace. From From Wallace and Gromit, yeah. Yeah. Can't believe that's Tim Roth. You know, he's such a good actor. I love him. He's I, my I love Tim Roth. But that's not acting. His face isn't acting. That's some something's happened to him. Though. That's called prosthetics. Steph can tell you all about that. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, the magic of makeup. That's and the, quite ma- and the magic of old age. Mm. So, John Cri- the, well, the TV was released in 2014. The TV was? The, the TV. TV episode was. Oh, <laughs> the TV. It was like a miniseries slash movie kind of thing. Okay. Oh, okay. So, John Christie killed eight people. His MO, or modus operandum, was strangulation, but his signature was that of a necrophile. Oh, oh he's a bit saucy, was he? He was. <laughs> Christie was born in Yorkshire on the 8th of April, 1899, and he was born as John Reginald Christie. He was raised by his mother and his father, and had four older sisters. His father was an abusive bastard who whipped his children whenever he felt like it, as well as making them march in time during long walks. That's John Christie. It looks like a Nazi war criminal. He, he does. really does. Is that like that? that's a really long neck as well? Yes, that's some good neckage. <laughs> Whilst his father off. abused him, his mother took the complete opposite end of the scale with very large amounts of love and affection. She even told him that he was her favorite. His four older sisters reinforced the female influence of love, but instead of it being of regular sisterly love, they used their power to dominate over him. Uh. Christie retreated inside himself, but he learned that if he exaggerated being ill, he would attract the attention of both his mother and his sisters and other females around him. He struggled to make thre- friends, although he did not—he did do well in school with an IQ of 128. He regularly visited church and even became co- part of the choir. As he grew up, he played sports and became a scoutmaster to the local scouts. When he turned eight, his mother's father died, so his granddad on his mother's side, mm. and Christie was asked if he wanted to see the body of the man that used to terrify him to which he said yes I'm down I think you have to be a psychopath to be a scout leader Uh, must do you think they're they're all a bit BTK they're all a bit you know I'm doing a hand gesture you know what I mean yeah no (laughs) you were in the scouts though and you know what I mean I wasn't in the scouts were you not no No. neither was I but you know what I mean what's psychopathic about making flowers flowers no but they're always they're always a bit sort of hands on aren't they well they know how to tie knots quite well yeah yeah, that goes into BTK you know what's up with scout leaders we know. Upon seeing the body of his grandfather, he was pleased at the lack of tension he now felt for about the man. The experience of death fascinated him, and he began to play in the local graveyard. He seemed to be especially taken with the broken vault that housed the coffins of the local deceased children. Oh. As he grew up, he found that he struggled with women, and he knew that he could not satisfy them during sex. He stated to other boys his age that girls liked him, but had soon earned the na- nicknames Can't Make It Christy and Reggie No Dick. <laughs> oh my gosh! Brilliant. Kids are horrible. <laughs> Wow. Reggie noted. <laughs> he had his first personal sexual experience at the age of 10 when he saw one of his older sister's legs as a skirt rolled up. So basically, what? his sister's skirt rolled up naturally and he got a boner at the age of 10. Oh. Yeah. 
author of Ten Rillington Place, Ludwig Kennedy, states, There was nothing unusual in this, for it is often through their sisters that small boys first find themselves physically disturbed by the opposite sex. No. I have a younger brother now. Oh, let's dwell on that. I'm the only, I'm the only one without a, a full sibling, so I, we can talk about this quite comfortably. It has to be of the opposite sex. Steph, let's talk about it. What do you want to know? <laughs> so, yeah, it's quite... No, that's gross. That's weird. It's normally Odd. around about the age of 10 as well. Yeah. It doesn't tend to work the other way around. So, no. females, like males who have younger female siblings, tends not to happen. Okay. Well, yeah, I can confirm odd. that. that oh, yeah. <laughs> but when it's like a younger male sibling and an okay. older female si- sibling, that's when they first find the sexual urges. If it's not the sister, mm. it's the mom, right? Yeah. Nick, want to interlude on that? Um, well, yeah, sure. <laughs> no, that's not. No, I, I can't remember ever sexually fantasizing about my mother. That's not something it's uh, it's popped up. But in Christie's case, was a quite saucy lollipop lady. <laughs> Sorry. But in Christie's case, it exaggerated an already tense situation. He'd always resented his sisters bossing him around, and now to add salt to his wounds, he found himself physically attracted to them. He both loved and hated them because they aroused his masculinity, but then stifled it. And this went on day after day, month after month, year after year. There must have been many occasions where he thought of his sisters and wished them all dead. Oh. Because he couldn't satisfy those... Um, and he, was, he was only ten at this point. He couldn't satisfy those urges and it so, went on till he grew up. So when did he get these nicknames for not having a penis? Uh, Reggie No Dick. Yeah, was that uh, later? Around about 14, 15. Oh, okay. When yeah. he started boasting, oh, I slept with girls and it's like, no, you didn't. No. Oh, okay. I always interested how nicknames come up. Yeah. Like Rich, the people he works with have got some amazing nicknames. Kennedy also <laughs> states that Christie developed a deep hatred for of women, especially those who tempted him. He also feared them, and those feelings merged into a repressed, murderous rage. He left school at the age of 15 and went to work in a movie theatre as a project- projectionist. But when World War One arrived, he entered the army as a signalman and became extremely good at detailed work. He saw a- action just once, and mustard gas shell knocked him unconscious and temporarily blinded him. There is no evidence that this blindness existed, though, so it is believed that Christie fabricated it to seem stronger and to garner attention. So this is Munchausen's? A little bit of Munchausen's, yeah. I thought that was the definition of Munchausen. Among other things in this characteristic novel. He also lost his voice and remained silent for over three years. Oh no, he was in the choir. (laughs) Physicians determined this to be a hysterical reaction rather than a real physical ailment. ailment, A.K.A. he was simply afraid. Okay. Oh, we didn't go, want to go back to the front. Well, that's yeah. understandable. Yeah. It is understandable, and I, I can imagine the pure terror, but mm. apparently he decided to be it. silent about it. Yeah. Remembering what he did in his childhood when he was ill. Um, which, about his sisters. And his mother. Yeah. Well, now this illness, he exaggerated it to avoid an unpleasant situation. In, oh, so any time he got sexually aroused, he'd, he'd say, my war injury is playing up, kind of. Yeah, or he'd go <gasps> silent any time that he'd be put into, like, he'd have to do something for work a silent right. and everybody always oh, war injuries playing him up oh okay so in 1920 he married Ethel Simpson Waddington who was from Sheffield the weird thing is though he was mainly silent during the whole of the courtship oh, oh right that's Ethel hello Ethel she looks like an Ethel yeah. she does look like 
like an effort. My nan was being. That's a bit sour. No. No, she was a nice lady. She's kind of pushing ahead, like. His sexual difficulties continued, and Ethel did nothing to help. Basically, this woman didn't want to help him with his weird ass fantasies, as they really didn't do anything for her. Oh, what were they? What was that wrong with that? What? Where? What was he into? So he approached her into this. Like they were married. Yeah. And he approached her for weird sexual stuff. Oh, okay. As in... Yeah, but what? Tying up Ooh. and bondage. Okay. And other stuff that I'll get into in a little bit. The kinky bits. Bananas. The, the kinky bits. Bananas. As well as a bit of stocking oh, and high heel and stuff. Who? Him wearing those? No, Ethel wearing those. Oh, that's not too kinky, is it? But she, she didn't want anything to do with that. She just so wanted... he was into domination? Yeah. Okay, alright. Yeah, but she didn't want that to do with that. She okay. was just like, oh, I just want vanilla. Alright. I'm good yeah, with like, vanilla. Like I mean, boring. everybody has their spices, I yeah. guess. Vanilla was hers. Yeah. Since he turned 19, Christy Christy frequented sex workers. And although these women didn't really make any demands of him, they still humiliated him, in his mind anyway, by reminding him of his inability to be with a regular woman. Did he want to be humiliated or was that just the way the cookie was? What do you mean by that? He couldn't be with... You mean he couldn't get it up? With regular women, he couldn't get it up because they wouldn't fulfil his fantasies. What's the point in going to sex workers all the time then? Sex workers would fill the darker stuff that he wanted to fulfil. Yeah, but you just said they were making fun of him. In his mind. Oh, in so his mind. So he didn't want that okay, then. Because okay. people like pay for humiliation. No, no, he days, didn't don't want... They? He, they, he felt that they humiliated him even though mm. they were like... No, we're just getting paid to have sex with you. But he didn't like that. He didn't want that. He didn't want the humiliation. Oh, okay. But in his mind, yeah. they humiliated him because the only person that, that would say yes to his dark sexual Ooh. fantasies was the sex workers. Yeah. Okay. So that was humiliation. Well, even from the get-go. I don't understand why that's humiliation. Because in his mind, he was like, it's really embarrassing. Yeah. It's kind so of he has hum- to come to that decision Yeah, he has place. to go to that decision of going to a sex worker because he can't get with regular women. Right. He can't even get it on with his wife. Okay. okay. But that was his decision, though. So why... He, he technically chose to humiliate himself. He did, and that's the issue. That's an um, so un- underlying issue. Basically, he was humiliated the fact that he had to go to sex work. So it's more yeah. of a social humiliation. Yeah, yeah. But, right. in, but nobody else knew. Yeah, I know. Knew. Yeah, yeah. Nobody else yeah. gave a shit because at the end of the day, sex is sex. Yeah, you're into what you're into. But in his mind, it humiliated him. Right, okay. Even when he was married, he still carried on going to the sex workers regularly. Oh. Christie became a postman, but in 1921, he stole a few postal orders and was sent to prison for three months. When he returned home after his incarceration, his voice returned during a temper tantrum wait, that wait, was wait, caused wait. by his father. What did he steal from the postal service? Please say it was junk mail. No, <laughs> postal, postal orders. Yeah, like checks. So checks. Oh, okay. Okay. I thought it was just like... Also, we're actually going back to the sex worker thing. Was she aware? Was she aware that he was going to sex workers? I'll get into that. The wife. Okay. okay. I'll get into that. The nuggets to come. His voice returned after a temper tantrum caused by his father. Okay. And then he lost it again. And then it returned again six months later. At 25, he was put on probation with the post office for charges of violence. This is when the truth began to circulate regarding him visiting sex workers. Ashamed, he left his wife and moved to London. Four years later, in September in 1924, he was in prison yet again, this time for nine months after two charges of theft. On his release, he went through a series of jobs and lived with a sex worker in Battersea until he hit her over the head with a cricket bat and was sent back to prison for six months. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, that'll yeah. do it. Well done. By the way, was he with the sex worker or were they just... Co-habitated? No, he lived with her. Oh, okay. So they were co 
cohabitating. They were cohabitating. Was he not? Um... Yeah, he was fiddling her too. Fiddling? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't paying her. No? Oh, he was no. going to. Oh, so it's friends with benefits? Yeah. Okay. Mm. He was suspected of violence against other women, but there wasn't enough evidence to prosecute him. He got out and still didn't know where or what he personally wanted, couldn't settle on a job, and couldn't find anywhere to live. I say that, but a few years later, he was again arrested because he stole a car from a priest who was trying to, who pulled over to try and help him. <laughs> oh, wow. So, as you can see, he don't do anything by half. No, at all. No. That... Steal a car? No, that's not good enough. I'm going to steal a car from a priest. Who's trying to help me. Yeah. <laughs> I just got this image of a priest going, no, like shaking his fist. <laughs> My car! No. <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> After he got out this time, he asked Ethel to come and live with him. And even though they had been separated for 10 years, Ethel mm. rejoined her husband. Mm-hmm. Oh. And that was in 1933. Romantically or just as French? Uh, romantically, as oh. husband and wife. Did okay. she remarry or... Um... No, they were still married. Oh, so they didn't get divorced? No oh, divorce. No. But she wasn't oh. knocking around with anybody else? No, no. no. Oh. She was... He, As far as Ethel was concerned, my husband is in London looking for a job for 10 years. 10 years? For 10 years. years. She, a bit, 10 years. she a bit dim? Leave Ethel alone. She looks it. Well, 10 years Leave looking Ethel for work. Leave Ethel alone. I suppose uh, marriage was different in those days, wasn't it? It's kind yeah. of like you married... You you, you married? You, you What word am I? You get married for life. Yeah, like... it wasn't divorce like you can nowadays. Divorce yeah. was quite an expense. Like, it still is expensive, but oh, yeah. it was more expensive back still. then. And it was do. super friendly. 10 years looking well. for work. Yeah. yeah. It also wasn't really morally okay to do either, was it? No, you were shunned. Made Jesus cry. In 1938, Christy and Ethel moved into 10 Rillington Place in the Ladbrook Grove area of Notting Hill. That's the house. One oh, right on the cute. end. That's really cute. Yeah. Is it cute? It yeah, is. Like it looks it's... sort of dingy. It... It's old timey windows and the cute architecture and stuff. Architecture. Yeah, that one didn't Police man with a baby outside. Paint falling off the walls. Cute. Soon after he arrived in London, Christy had been hit by a car which had set off a long stage of hypochondria. Christy stayed at home a lot, using the excuse of his ailments, and vi- he visited two doctors a total of 173 times oh, over wow. 15 years. Mm. Wow. Due to the build-up of to World War II and London being in turmoil, Christy signed up to, as a volunteer member of the World No, sorry, of the War Reserve Police. They made no inquiries about his past, which would of course have barred him from the service, but he received received his uniform as a special constable at the Harrow Road Police Station where he remained for four years. Is that him there in the picture? No. Oh, okay. He became almost fanatical about upholding the law and eventually acquired the nickname Himmler of Rillington Place. Jesus. Himmler. As in uh, Hitler's second in command. Oh. See that pram in that picture? It's it's I don't know. It's not. But it just looks like the policeman's brought his baby to work. <laughs> that's, what I was, that's what I was thinking. Bring your no, baby to work. Don't. That pram is because it's flats. You didn't get the whole house. They were flats. So you had ground floor is flat one. The tenements. That's what they're called. Is yeah. the tenements. Flat two is on the top in the second floor, and flat three is on the top floor. Yeah. No, it just look, looks like he's brought his child to work with him. It's a bit strange. Christie enjoyed the authority he had. He of course abused his authority by following women around, watching yeah. in his neighbours through a peephole he had bore into his kitchen door and he ran down every transgressor even if the crime was extremely petty. I've got again another image of just the family sitting at dinner one night in this like like the the, the, the drill comes through though. Nothing to say. Nothing to say. 
<laughs> Christie began an affair with one of the ladies who worked in the police station. Her husband was a serving soldier. The relationship ended in December 1943 after the lady's husband caught them in bed with each other and beat Christie up. Now on to his murders. Whilst Christie was on the police force, his wife made regular visits back to Sheffield. I mentioned earlier that he was having an affair with the lady he was working with, but she wasn't the only lady that was on his calling card. Oh. In 1943, Christie visited a bar and encountered Austrian-born Ruth Furhurst. So he wasn't lying early. He was quite good with the ladies. Aww. He was quite good, yeah. Just when it came to sex, it wasn't. It, when it yeah. came to sex. It was a bit sort of um, disappointing. He couldn't perform. Mm. She's a total cutie. She is. Yeah, she's a hearty. Ruth was 21. She was a tall brunette lady who was a lover of life. She worked for a local munitions factory and lived in a single room not too far away from Rillington Place. There was a few pieces of evidence that she tried to supplement her income with from the munitions factory by becoming a sex worker. She began to visit Christy regularly at his home whilst Ethel was away. One day, whilst they were in bed together, a telegram arrived stating that Ethel was on her way home with her brother. Christy states that Ruth undressed herself and demanded that he have sex with her. After that, he was to run away with her. But he, of course, refused to run away. Not the sex, just to run away. Yeah. Whilst having sex, he strangled her. Ruth thought backwards, but eventually she sadly died. Oh, so she died! He finished himself oh. off, then wrapped her in a le- her leopard coat, put her underneath the floorboards of the living room, along with the rest of her clothing. Ethel and her brother arrived back, and things carried on like normal. So she was dead, and then he ejaculated? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Oh. Did he did, um, have sex with her corpse, or just, you know... Just yeah, on yeah. top. Finished him, so... What? That's to come. That's to come. Oh, well, okay. The next day, after Ethel's brother had left and Ethel had gone off to work, Christy removed the body from the house and placed it in the wash house that was in the outback of the garden. He started to dig in the garden and eventually his wife came back home and they had tea. After she had gone to bed, he went back out to the garden, placed Ruth into the hole and covered it with earth. He confessed, The next day, I straightened the garden and raked over it. He pulled some of her clothes out of the hole and added them to a dustbin to burn. He admits that months later he... He had an accidentally unearthed her skull, which he then put into a dustbin to be burned with other rubbish. Could have buried her very deeply. He later wrote that, I remember as I gazed down at the still form of my first victim, experiencing a strange, peaceful thrill. And after that incident, he gave it no more thought. Oh. After his stint in the War Reserve Police ended, Christie got a job at a radio firm. It was there he met his second victim, Muriel Amelia Edie. He's got a type. He has indeed. Muriel she looks was, quite old though. Muriel was 32 mm-hmm. and lived with her aunt. She was a short brunette lady. Christie invited Muriel to spend time with him and his wife and Muriel agreed and brought along her steady boyfriend. They went to the cinema together often. In October 1944, Ethel had gone to Sheffield again to visit family. Muriel suffered from cathara which is the build-up of mucus in the airways at the back of the throat or the nasal passage. Christie told Muriel that he, due to his first aid background of being in the war reserve, had a remedy for the cataract at his home. She came over alone. This time he wanted to avoid the struggle that his last victim had given him and prepared himself with a different method. He told Muriel that he had a special inhaler that would work well for her ailments, but it was in fact just a jar. Into Wait, the jar what? he had put an inha- put some inhalant, inhalant disguised with odour of fryer's bark, balsamic, 
some to make it seem less gaslight. He made two holes in the top of the jar. One of the holes he used for a small ho hose that he ran to a gas supply and he ran that into the jar. The other hole he placed another hose, this time that didn't touch the liquid but drew the gas out of the jar itself. He sat Muriel down on the kitchen chair, gave her a cup of tea, placed a scarf over her head to allow her to inhale his concoction. Muriel breathed in deep, believing that she would get better. In fact, she was breathing in carbon monoxide. Oh. In less than a minute, the carbon monoxide had weakened her and Christy get and gave Christy the opportunity to strangle her with one of his wife's stockings. Gosh. That's very elaborate. I don't think I've ever heard of anything like that before. Where somebody's created like a it's almost sort of like jigsaw kind of thing, making like a contraption to um, yeah. well not kill somebody because he strangled her, but to, yeah. to make something like that. Also, why are stockings like the go-to for strangulation? Stretchy. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the how well and versatile they are. It's just crazy how like all of these situations just have stockings to hand. I guess they're quite like sexual objects as well. And that was one of are his they? fetishes as well. well stockings? Yeah. Of course they are. There is a stocking. You're not a man in the world yet, Owen. You'll know. You'll know. You're only a baby. Yeah. Give it time. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you believe that. Stuff to look forward to. When carbon monoxide is inhaled into the body, carbon monoxide molecules are combined with the hemoglobin to form carbon oxys hemoglobin, which prevents the blood from carrying oxygen around the body. Basically, the carbon monoxide suffocates the hemoglobin, the little like proteiny bits that are in the red blood cells that carry the oxygen around. Yeah. When somebody has been poisoned with carbon monoxide, in the short term, they begin to have a tension type of headache, dizziness, feeling or being sick, are tired or confused, have stomach pains as well as shortness of breath and difficulty breathing. Whilst in the long term, they can have a difficulty thinking and concentrating as well as emotional changes. It's quite common for people to die from carbon monoxide poisoning, especially if they're drunk. So if they yeah. they park their car in the garage and like, the garage has got like a automatic shutdown thing and they just mm -hmm. fall asleep with the engine running and they can they die of carbon die. monoxide yeah Muriel was given a high level of carbon monoxide gas that would have caused her to have an impaired mental state that may have looked as if she was intoxicated she would have suffered with vertigo the feeling that the room was suddenly spinning around her with ataxia the loss of physical coordination due to damage to the brain with tachycardia the breathlessness and a heart rate that is over 100 beats per minute chest pains seizures and eventually loss of consciousness the grossest thing about this though is whilst christy was strangling her he decided it was a, be a good time for him to have sex with her oh wow many believe that he in fact had sex with her after she had died but christy on this instance said that no it was while she was dying Ooh. i mean i'd say that if that was my story <laughs> wait what like well if you're, being questioned, if, if you're gonna be questioned it's like it's, it's whilst it was happening not after i mean i suppose it's lesser of two evils yeah is it? Do you not think? Well, I'd say rape's probably worse than necrophilia. Because at least then there's no conscious yeah. victim, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, there, is, there, there would be a victimless crime. No, it's not, it's not a victimless crime. You've got to kill the person. Yeah, but no, but if, like, necrophilia, the, the body's dead already. I'd, I'd say... Well, it's, it's a very niche fetish. I'd, yeah, I class necrophilia well, as down. I'm going to go into rape. what you think necrophilia is. Okay. So what it actually is. Mm. Okay. Because there is a broader scope than just having sex with the dead. Oh, okay. so it's not just putting your winkle in a corpse? No. Or is no. it just being turned on by the dead? I'll go into that well, in that a minute. that is a necrophile, somebody who's attracted to that. Right, so. <laughs> yes. What's cup? He then placed Muriel's body fully clothed in the communal wash house, the same one where he'd placed the last victim, and dug a hole in the garden and buried her not too far away from Ruth. Oh. A couple of months later, he came across a broken femur bone and used it to prop up the trellis that he was building in the garden. Handy. Oh. Handy. Handy. <laughs> How deep is he digging these holes? He's obviously not, not doing very them very deep. deep. Not. Taking a big risk there. Right, so on to the necrophilia. <laughs> this is a witch 
is a phrase that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you guys have an idea of what necrophilia is. Indeed. But it's not just when it's somebody that's dead. It's also when it's somebody that's unconscious. Oh, okay. Um, so the sex has to be with somebody that's either unconscious or dead. Okay. So the unconscious thing. Yeah, is the dead light pose. Mm-hmm. There are several different variants of necrophilia. <laughs> the violent, the fantasy, and the romantic. The violent type has the urge to be near the corpse so they can kill in order to achieve this. They may keep a corpse around for a prolonged period of time or they may keep a record of where they've dumped the corpse so they can revisit it. The fantasy type makes the death a central part of their erotic imagery. They may ask a lover to play dead or to take photos of them in a dead-like position. These photos will later be used as a masturbatory material. The romantic type feels such a strong bond with their victim that they need to keep them around after death. They may never touch them again or look at them again, but they need to have them close by. This is very similar to Nielsen that we did. Like, yes, it is. Very much along those lines. Yeah, where mm. Nielsen was, I would say, is the fantasy type, where yeah. he took the photos and such. Christie's a combination of two of these. Yeah. Is it so, quite a common thing, do you think? Yeah. In that sense. In Not killers. in the sense of having having uh, sex with somebody with a dead body. I mean, the, the asking people to play dead. Yeah. What's, has it happened to either of you two? Um, has that been a request you've been given? I can't say it's been a request <laughs> yeah. of mine. It's not. No? No stories are jumping. No, you haven't got story time. Okay, okay, fair enough. So Christie was a combination of two of these types. He was the fantasy typed as he liked his victims to play dead aka be unconscious whilst he had sex with them as well as being the romantic type as he kept them close by many stated that the killing of the women made him feel peaceful and powerful at the same time but the weird thing is a collection of pubic hair was from his victims indicated another type of of perversion so he collected like did he groom them or just cut them or like just cut them Oh, okay. So it was purposely collected. Oh, it was a collection. Oh, okay. Oh, right. Just collected his victim's pubic hair. Oh, everybody's got to have a hobby. Could do with yeah. a trim. Which stimulate stimulates no makes psychologists think that maybe he was a violent type as well. Well, the trophies. Uh, yeah. Most serial killers take trophies, don't they? Yes. But your pubic hair is a bit of a weird one. Uh, uh, you'll be surprised. Serial killers are a bit nutty, aren't they? You know. You'd be surprised. But I wouldn't say like everybody's pubic hair was distinguishable. But he. I'll explain how the pubic hair was okay. found in a minute. He probably, you know, had them in a filing system, maybe. Okay. So, during Easter of 1948, Timothy Evans and his wife Beryl moved into the top floor flat of Rillington Place. In October, Beryl gave birth to a little girl they named Geraldine. In 1949, Evans informed the police that his wife was dead. The police searched Rillington Place, but failed to find the body of Beryl. A later search revealed the bodies of Beryl, the baby Geraldine, and a 16-week male fetus in the outdoor wash house. Oh, what? Beryl's body had been wrapped twice. First in a blanket and then in a tablecloth. Their post-mortems showed that both Beryl and Geraldine had been strangled and that Beryl had been physically assaulted before her death. Evans claimed that Christie killed his wife in a botched abortion attempt and upon further questioning the police produced a confession. It is now thought that this confession may have been fabricated by the police as it appears contrived and artificial. Upon his arrest Evans withdraws his confession and again states that it was Christie that killed them both. On Evans's trial in 1950 Christie was a principal witness for the Crown and he gave detailed evidence about the quarrels between Evans and his wife. The jury found Evans guilty of the murder and was hung on the 9th of March in 1950. Christie, at this time, lost his job at the post office due to the disclosure of his criminal convictions at the trial. So, so wait, sorry, a... just to, to, to go over that. The husband was convicted and hung, but yeah. it was he may not have done it. May not have done it. It was more than likely Christie. I'll get into that in a minute. Okay. okay. So this is Beryl. Hello, Beryl. And that's Babel Geraldine. Oh, 
Aww. With a bonnet and everything. It looks like a potato. I mean, all babies do. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Nick's just asked why that's relevant. Well, I'ma tell ya. The police made several mistakes during the course of the Evans investigation. They overlooked the remains of Christie's previous murders in the garden, especially as the femur that was popping up the trellis was out in plain sight. Oh. You know, people never suspect things that are out in plain sight. I mean, I guess that's why it's a saying. Yeah. Several searches were made of the house as Evans claimed in his confession that he had disposed of Beryl's and Geraldine's bodies in the drains. But the police never actually searched the wash house. No. The garden was examined, but not excavated. Excavated. Thank you, Nick. So this was like a communal garden, right? Yeah. Yeah. At this point. And they literally just stood there, looked at it and was like, nothing to see here. No bodies. No bodies. Okay. Great job there. It was a little bit after this that Christie's dog unearthed Muriel's skull which he then threw into an abandoned bombed out house on St. Mark's Road that dog unearthed that skull whilst the police were looking for Beryl and Geraldine's body Mm, I bet he shot himself he must have cacked himself (laughs) he needs to he he needed to dig bigger holes I mean he can't don't don't tell the people how big they need to dig the hole because they don't need to know murder 101 it just keeps happening murder 101 if you're gonna Bury a body, bury it deep. Yeah. But bits of his, his victims do keep. He's not. He's not. These are the same two victims. I, maybe it's because it's a communal garden and he's got to do it quickly. Maybe that's yeah. why he's not particularly digging uh, holes mm-hmm. for these people. The police Probably. accepted Christie's word as golden as they saw him as one of their own due to him being a former war reserve policeman. Even though Christie did have previous criminal convictions for theft and assault, whilst Evans had none. All right. It wasn't until after Christie's arrest that he admitted to killing Beryl and Geraldine because Beryl was simply come on to him. Okay. She was, sorry. Came on to him. Yeah. Oh. That's the reason. It wasn't until two years later that Christie murdered again. After he was fired from the post office, Christie found alternative employment as a clerk with the British Road Service. At the same time, new tenants arrived to fill the vacant first and second floor rooms of the house. The tenants were predominantly black families from the West Indies, and this horrified the Christies, who regarded their neighbours as inferior, disliked living near them. Yeah, Ooh. in the 50s, there was a big push from yeah. people all over the Commonwealth to come to live in England, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. India, the, India, Afri- what was it, Africa, Africa. Is that what it was called? That rings a bell. I think so. Yeah, where they put it on the boat because there was a great big scandal, wasn't there? So there yeah. was a lot of Jamaican that came over on the wind. But they were, they were asked. They were asked to quit. Yeah. It wasn't like um, no, but uh, people over immigration here, here didn't asked, particularly invited. like people tensions. Like change. Sorry, people didn't like change. No tensions between the new tenants and the Christies came to a boil when Ethel prosecuted one of her neighbours for assault. Christie went through the poor man's law centre to negotiate to have the exclusive use of the back garden because he, of course, doesn't want people to uncover the human ra- remains he had buried there. Yeah, especially when they're only an inch deep. Yeah. Oh. He won, so he was pleased that his crimes would remain secret. No. Christie left his job suddenly on 6th of December 1952, stating that he had gained a better job in Sheffield and he would be moving with his wife there shortly. When his wife disappeared, he claimed that she had already moved and that he would be following soon. Christie didn't have a better job. He was, in fact, underfoot at home. Uh. Ethel wasn't particularly happy with this, but found ways to divert herself divert herself christy had hoped that w- with him home she, that she would go off and visit her relatives in sheffield again but she didn't his urges were rising again and, Eth- and with ethel home he could not fulfill them according to christy ethel taunted him about his impotency which of course angered him further did the last murder that the the guy co- was hung for did that coincide with ethel going away yes that did it coincide did, yeah. with Ooh, going away. interesting on the 11th of december ethel went to watch tv with her friend rosie then 
next day, she took the wash into the laundromat and appeared to all of those that saw her well and cheerful. She said nothing to anyone about taking a trip. This was the last time that anybody saw her. Again, there's a picture of Ethel. By yeah, the way, guys, all of these pictures will be up on our socials. She didn't live in the tenement block. She lived with Christy, yeah. Oh, this, sorry, this was the prostitute that he was... No, this is his wife. Oh, that's his wife. Oh, sorry, she looks Ethel. quite different to the first first yeah. picture. Sorry. What's, what's the time difference between the first one and this one? Do you know? Ten years. Oh, ten years. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. There you go. On there the 14th go. of December, Christy had strangled Ethel in bed. Oh, wait, what? He invented several stories to explain his wife's disappearance in the hopes to stop any furthering questions being asked. He sent off a letter that Ethel had written to her sister, and when he received a response, he wrote back stating that Ethel had rheumatism and couldn't respond herself. To one neighbour, he said that she was visiting family in Birmingham, and to another, told them that she had moved to Sheffield to support himself, because remember, he didn't have a job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He sold Ethel's wedding ring, watch, and all of the furniture in the house. Oh, rude. That wasn't very nice. The only things he left himself were three chairs, a kitchen table, and a mattress to sleep on. Mm, Sparse. Modern. Sorry? Modern, very Ikea. Very, very Ikea. (laughs) (laughs) On the 26th of January, 1953, he forged his wife's signature and emptied her bank account. And with that money, and the money he got from his unemployment benefits, he was able to stay in the flat until March. Were the benefits system going at that point? It was. It's been known since Queen Victoria. Okay, cool. Good to know. Was it? Queen Victoria helped set up the benefit system. Okay, I thought it was after the Second World War. Queen Victoria and Prince Albert. Did she... um, No, you're going to say where she ended up. Yes? Yes. Yes. Can I take a guess? The garden? No. Oh, really? Uh -uh. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Under the floorboards? Ooh! Was that a good guess? That was a very good guess. Ooh! Oh, if, it, if it wasn't, oh, I'm going to have another guess. In the walls. Nah, In the walls? Now you're getting colder. Oh. Now you're getting ridiculous. <laughs> but you are very, very close to another incident. So keep Ooh. listening. Okay. One day he saw a lady looking for a place to rent. He spoke to her. Her name was Mrs. Riley. And invited her into the flat to have a look. Christy had not anticipated her bringing along her husband. No. They decided to take the flat and pay three months rent in advance. Christy borrowed a suitcase from them and moved out. Taking the money, he left. But not before he had his dog destroyed. Wait, what? Yeah. Oh, Why? Because it was a witness? No, because it was just there and he couldn't take it with him. Oh, okay. Oh, so he just dro- had right, it destroyed. Yeah. Well, a brick in an alleyway. I don't know how people yeah. used to say it. it was the 50s. That's... I was making that up, Steph. I don't think that's something. <laughs> don't worry. He had a cat too. Oh, did he? Did yeah. Survive? Did he take the cat with him? No. Oh. Oh. Did he have the cat killed? Did he kill the cat? He left it with the Rileys. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's okay. What about the dog then? Okay. That's fine. He really didn't wish to be around when the discovery of the bodies was about to happen. Okay, so he felt it in his bones. Yeah. Okay. The Rileys went even in the flat one day before the actual landlord came over and asked them to leave, as Christy didn't have the power to rent the flat to them. Yeah. Oh yeah, because he took the money for it, didn't he? I was about to say, yeah. was he the landlord? They left willingly, as the place smelt so bad. I mean, yeah. They were frustrated, as not only were they out three months worth of rent and needed to work and needed to go back home to earn that money again. Yeah. The landlord now had an empty flat and struggled to find some to live there. He allowed the upstairs tenant Bears, I'm going to crucify this first name Bears Food Brown to use the larger kitchen of the Christie's flat. That's the black couple that they had yeah. uh, confrontation One of them because there was two. Okay. Oh, okay. So this is the tenant on the second floor. Right. Okay. And the second floor and the third floor had a smaller kitchen than the first floor. So okay. that's why he said that yeah you can Oh the Christie's the right uh, They were the, on the ground floor. Oh, yeah, okay. Which is why he was happy that he'd got sole access to that garden. Okay got you. I thought for some reason maybe there was sandwiches in the middle 
Um, Brown noticed the smell, but thought it was due to the filth that the flat was in. So the place was absolutely filthy. Mm -hmm. It occurred to him that there was not enough flat space in the kitchen, so he opted to put up a new shelf, began to knock on the walls to find the proper place, and quickly discovered that one of the walls sounded hollow. Considering it was he was in the kitchen, he presumed it was a cupboard that the previous tenants, the Christie's, didn't want and didn't use. Brown pulled away some of the wallpaper and was pleased to find there was actually a door. The door, though, had been nailed shut, but to see if it was a useful space, he shone a torchlight through the crack. Gasping, he took a step back as he was uncertain of what he thought he'd seen. It looked like there was a naked woman in the cupboard. He could see her back. He quickly called the police and Chief Superintendent Peter Beveridge attended. He arrived with several officers and the coroner, Chief Inspector Percy Law of Scotland Yard. Sorry, that was a mouthful. He was also a pathologist. They opened the door and found a corpse of a woman sitting on some rubble. Her back was to them. That's the cupboard. Oh my god! Wow! Oh, I was it's quite a small thing. Yeah. I was expecting like a walking thing. And that's like the actual body of the actual thing and the actual... No, that's not the body. That's the pathologist. Oh, okay. Gonna... God, that place is a shithole, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But that's the cupboard and the kitchen. Okay. That's creepy. What was that cupboard used for? Because it was like tiny. It was, it was meant to be a larder. Oh, so okay. you put your milk and stuff in it. Good advert for Tide uh, washing. <laughs> I wonder if this is why Tide doesn't sell anymore. No, it's just p- perfect product else. placement almost. So the lady was removed and police noticed a wrapped object. They unwrapped it and found it was another female body. Oh, wow. After removing that body, they noticed one more wrapped item. Pulling it out, they found it was yet again another female body. Luckily, no more bodies after that was found. Right. So I'm going to talk about the bodies in the order that they were pulled out the cupboard. Okay. Because it's quite... Yeah, it's quite awkward to try and get them in chronological order. Okay. 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 So the first body was that was the one that was found sitting amongst the rubble. Her autopsy showed that she was brunette, around 20 years old. It was later determined that she was 26. This lady was found naked. She was pinkish in colour due to being poisoned by gas, then asphyxiated with a smooth surface type of cord. She'd been drinking shortly before her death. Then she'd been sexually assaulted, and that was either at the time of her death or shortly after. She'd been dragged across the floor to the cupboard as she'd scratched marks along her back. It was estimated that she had been dead for around four weeks. Oh, wow. This lady was Hectorina Marklinine. Oh, she's pretty. She met Christy in a cafe not too far away from Rillington Place. He allowed her and her boyfriend to stay at the flat a couple of times. A few weeks later, Christy noticed her on her own and invited her back for a drink to wait for her boyfriend. Between the time that Christy killed her and his arrest, he told her boyfriend that she must have run off and asked if the boyfriend had heard from her. The second body had been wrapped in a blanket. The blanket had been knotted to her bra, which had been pulled high towards her neck. She wore only her garter belt and stockings on her lower half, whilst as well as her bra, her top half, she had a black jumper and white jacket pushed up around her neck. She'd been removed from the cupboard and it was clear that she'd been strangled with a ligature. Her wrist had been tied in front of her with a handkerchief that was held into place with a reef knot. Was the ligature a stocking? Um, I'll get into that. Okay. This victim's autopsy showed that she was around 25 years old with light brown hair, poorly manicured hands and feet, but was generally in good health. She had the onset of pink colour that showed that she'd been poisoned by gas and then asphyxiated by strangulation with what appeared to be a smooth, tight cord. Poorly manicured? Yeah. I mean, if any... That is a th- weird thing to bring up, isn't yeah. it? Purely manicured means oh, that she nails. was more lower class than middle class or upper class oh. because women back then wasn't so much caring for their nails if they had to go to work. To be honest, I would say that 
fine, I guess. But it's, yeah. it is odd to put that in the report. Yeah, it is. Yeah. They, they put that in, more, in most medical, like, But I guess autopsies. if it was at the time, that was yeah. an indicator yeah. of, of social standing. Then yeah. Makes sense. She was also sexually assaulted again, either around the time of her death or after. There were high levels of alcohol in her system that showed that she had been drinking heavily that day. Like previously mentioned, she had been wearing clothes on her death, but as well as the cardigan and the vest, another white vest had been placed between her legs, almost like a nappy. Oh, right. It was estimated that she'd been dead for around 8 to 12 weeks. Oh, wow. Wait, I don't know. This lady was Kathleen Mahoney. Kathleen was born in Plymouth in 1926 and was sadly orphaned in 1929. She was raised by her aunt and it was said that Kathleen liked to play prank, but in 1940, out of concern for her talking to boys, she was sent to a convent of the Good Shepherd. Two years later, she was sent to another convent and was deemed uncontrollable and sent back to Plymouth in 1943. On her way back through, she befriended a group of soldiers. It was in 1944 that she kept fleeing to London where it was said that she became a sex worker. She was arrested a few times for this but always managed to get out. Between 1948 and 1950 she had five children but in 1952 she went back to London as she was sick of the police chasing her. It was around this time that she met the Christies. Well, she met Christie who promised her some of his dead wife's clothing because he could yeah. see that she was dissolute. D- just going back to how they found it, I don't understand the, the was it a vest stop between her legs? The vest yeah, between I, her legs I don't like understand. a nappy. Yeah, I don't understand that. What, why? What's 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 the meaning of that? To humiliate her. Oh. Okay. As in, you make me feel like a child because I can't satisfy you. I'll make you out like a child. But she was Do- dead by that point though. She was. So she wouldn't have been able to live that That it was self-gratifying. But I thought he, he could get his jollies off to dead women. I thought that was the thing. But it was a kind of a self-gratifying thing to humiliate somebody. Okay. Because in his mind, these sex workers humiliated him. Mm. Yeah, I still don't fully and understand it, that process. It, it, but was I guess a, be like, it was a way for him to humiliate them, even in, in death. Okay. So did he tarnish all, all sex workers with a, with that same humiliation then? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, cause even he in was, the different circumstances. Yeah, because they were the only women that he could have sex with. Um, because they're the only ones that allowed his fascination like his fantasies yeah Mm. so okay so he met her as a sex worker it's kind of as a sex worker but also he could see that she was in need of some help because she was dissolute and so he said that oh you can have some of my dead wife's clothing if you like Mm. and that's why she came back to the house because okay. he promised her the clothes. Okay. The third body to be found had been wrapped in a blanket as well. This one had been placed standing on her head. Wait, what? Her ankles had been tied with electrical cord, again using a reef knot. They probably learned it in the scouts. <laughs> Another piece of cloth covered her head, again secured with a reef knot. At her autopsy, it showed that she was around 25 years old with blonde hair. She wasn't in a good social standing as she didn't have her nails manicured. She wore a dress, a petticoat, bra, cardigan, two vest and a piece of material again had been placed between her legs. Mm. Oh, I'd hate to think what my nails said about my social standing. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's she... have a look. Oh, yeah. Take a look at those. They look um, like yeah. Yeah. yeah stuff. No, you need to get you need to go see something about me. <laughs> <laughs> she again was pinkish in colour as she'd been gassed and then asphyxiated. I don't get how he, the first lady, when she had breathing problems, I understand how he got this contraption on her because she must have had a problem. He said this will help. But these are the ladies. It just, what was the situation where he says, yeah, have a go on this? Kind I don't of thing. know. Nobody knows. It's just hard. That is his MO, definitely, isn't yeah. it? But it's just odd how you bring that up in a conversation and actually get your victim to. to Maybe it was. Protect, maybe it's part of the sex, maybe? Yeah, maybe it was. He said it was a drug. 
But she mm. didn't come up for sex, did she? She came up for clothes. Yeah. So that doesn't fit into well, that. We're on the third one now. In the oh, sorry. Yeah, we are. Yeah. We are. But the previous one yeah. came up for clothes. Sadly, this body was six months pregnant at the time. Oh, mm. no. And it is said that she has been dead for around eight to 12 weeks. How long is a is a baby? It's, it's nine term. Nine, nine, nine months, months, yeah. Okay. I know my own biology. This lady was Rita Nielsen. Rita was from Belfast and had been visiting her sister in the Ladbroke Grove area. Couldn't find much information on but I did find out that she was she felt weak on a walk one day Christy spotted her and asked if she would like some assistance and offered her a drink in his house to help her relax as she was heavily pregnant uh, maybe that's where the breathing thing came in as well this will help kind of jobby yeah she agreed and we all know the rest of that sad story yeah they've all got the very um, thin eyebrows of the time haven't they they really have yeah, yeah. I'm just quite I, I expected the, the wife to be in there to be honest no she's somewhere else bearing in mind that Christy killed his wife on the 14th of December in 1952 and these bodies were discovered at the beginning of April you can see how quickly he escalated his killings yeah lucky this time in search of more bodies the police did a complete search of the house and the gardens they found the bodies of Ruth and Muriel who Christy had buried in the garden did they go and arrest him straight away when they found the three bodies in the cupboard kinda kinda as well as Ethel's body under the front room floorboards ah that's where she was there's bodies being removed what they look tiny yeah they're like small maybe it's just a perspective thing yeah, that's that is Rita's body being removed. It looks like he's barely lifting it, and that's the garden. Oh well, when they've just started to dig, it's easy to lose. Is that the shed there. that you mentioned before? The trellis, yeah. Okay. God, the gardens are shit all yeah, as well. Yeah, it's very messy. On the twentieth of March, nineteen fifty-three, Christie booked a room at King's Cross Roundton House under his real name and said he was staying for seven nights. He only stayed four. It could be that he had heard about the wide-scale wide search for him or the fact that he saw his name and face in the front page of every newspaper. Ah, ah, as seen here. Eventually, he ran out of money and on the last day of March, a police officer spotted him at the Putney Embankment. He asked Christie who he was, to which Christie replied with a false name and address. Unsure of the situation, the police officer asked Christie to remove his hat, which re- revealed his high, balding forehead. He was quickly arrested. I can see why he was called Himmler now, because he, he does bear a resemblance to him. Yeah. Definitely. At the station, Christie willingly gave his statement about the murders, but only spoke about four. He hinted that there was something he didn't quite remember, but it was almost like he was... Ha- fishing to see if the police had found the victims in the garden. When he spoke of Ethel, he said that she was struggling in bed and it awakened him. Her face had been blue and she was choking. To him, it seemed too late to call for help, but he, of course, tried to restore her breathing, but he failed. He couldn't bear to see her suffering, so took a stocking and strangled her. He saw the bottle of Venabarbaton tablets, which are used to help treat and prevent seizures, as well as in the short term you can help you relax, which he figured she had tried to kill herself with. He said she was depressed about the neighbours. He left her in bed for two or three days, couldn't quite remember. And then, when he remembered, the loose floorboards in the living room placed her there so she would be close to him. He claimed that he didn't know what else to do. The other women were simply not his fault. They were all women of disrepute and they were all just so aggressive in their propositions that he, a man of virtue, had no choice but to do what he did. Of course. In in, his... Sorry, just in, in going along with that, says the, the, the secondary headline says, first full authentic story of the Ripper of Rillington Place. So I'm um, guessing at that time anybody who killed women of disrepute. Was a Ripper, yeah. yeah that's, was that a catch-all term for people who killed prostitutes? And, yeah. Yes. Okay. In his statement, he reversed the order that he met the 
first two ladies, but given their placements in the cupboard, it was clear his memory was at fault. Whilst in prison, several psychiatrists examined Christie, and he provided many details, even though not all of them were accurate and were peppered with lies and evasions. The doctors did agree about one thing, though. They all disliked the man immensely. They found him nauseating and snivelling. He seemed always to whisper when asked a question he didn't like, just like he had at the Evans's trial. He also refused to associate himself with his acts, and even went further by speaking about himself in third person when talking about them. Oh, that's always a good character trait. Christy, though, when no doctors or officers were around, boasted about his acts to the other inmates. He compared himself to George, John George Hay, the acid bath killer, and stated that his goal of, of a number of victims had been 12. Alright. Who's the acid bath killer? Ah, that's another one to cover. I'm going to guess he killed people in acid baths. Ah, uh, I would say really so. Is that where the band name Acid Bath came from? It is. Ah, that's cute. Well, it's not cute, but it's, well, it's like cute. It's nice referencing. Yeah. When confronted in with golf. all of the evidence, he quickly admitted to the first two victims, but originally refused to state if he killed Beryl. Later, he stated that he did kill her, but not the baby, and that it had been a mercy killing like his wife. When the police searched Christie's house, they found a tobacco tin with a pubic hair in. When questioned about this, he said that it was Beryl but when her body was exhumed it was found not to be a match Christy would still not say anything or recall anything about this pubic hair it wasn't his own it wasn't his own they tested it it was definitely female okay he stood trial on the 22nd of June 1953 and he pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity all of the murders he committed were brought in by the defence to prove how insane he really was his own lawyer called him a manic and a madman a psychiatrist for the defence concurred that Christie was a severe hysteric who may have known what he was doing at the time of each murder, did not appreciate that it was wrong. He had suffered a defect of reason and that prevented him from fully appreciating the criminality and immorality of his act. I know I said immorality wrong, but I don't care. Prosecution rebutted that argument with two psychiatrists. Dr. Matheson stated that Christie had a hysterical personality, but that was a neurosis, not a defect of reason. Whilst Dr. Curran found that in his mind, Christie was not insane, but to have an inadequate personality with hysterical features, he also detected no defect of reason. Christie took the stand and seemed to watch us to be quite agitated. He pulled on his ear, clasped and unclasped his hands, rubbed his head, stroked his cheek, pulled on his collar, all signs of a body and a brain in distress. He offered to give the descriptions of the murders one by one, although many of his replies to his counsel's questions were inaudible. When asked why he neglected to mention Beryl, he said he had forgotten that one. Mm -hmm. The prosecutor's closing argument insisted that Christie's murders would need to be compulsive to be considered insane. That is, he would have to have committed them even in the presence of a police officer. Christie admitted that he would never have done such a thing. His actions after his wife's death showed quite clearly that he knew that he he had done wrong and that he had to hide it from people. His logic shows sanity and appreciation of the wrongfulness of his deeds. The defence closed with asking the jury to consider how abominable, abominable were this man's actions and how utterly revelatory of madness. A man who had intercourse with dying or dead women, a man who kept a collection of pubic hairs, a man living, eating, sleeping with those bodies nearby. How could he be sane? The judge did not think that the defence's argument was adequate test of insanity and asked the jury to consider all of the evidence and testimony when they decided if Christie was insane when he killed his wife. The trial only lasted for four days and the jury deliberated for only an hour and 20 minutes. Their verdict? Guilty. And he was sentenced to death. Christie did not appeal and as there was no medical grounds for a reprieve, he was hanged at Pentonville Prison on July the 15th 
1953. And that's his newspaper article of the day that he got charged. Oh, wow. Who's the police chappy at the bottom? That is a chief inspector man that I mentioned earlier. Ah, uh, okay. okay. Can't remember his name off the top of my head. Will that be the same guy? Can we the, zoom in, Marvin? Yeah, I think it says at the bottom, does it? The magnifies at the top. Chief Superintendent Peter Beveridge. Beveridge. That's hmm. a good name. That is a very good man. Uh, Thomas Ledger. Oh, maybe. Is that the guy who f- maybe first came to the scene? Maybe. So what are they doing in the second picture? I don't is think a chief inspector would be That is the garden. That's okay. the wash house. Right, okay. Oh, there you go. But yeah, so that's the story of John Christie. Yeah. Amazing. Very interesting. I mean, it's, it's it's quite a standard fare for us. It reminds me of quite a few. There's quite a few murderers who... Nielsen uh, yeah. filled his house with the dead. Ed Gein filled his house with the dead, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. For some reason, the, the standout thing for me is the tobacco tin of pubes yeah that was a weird thing for me and it is literally they were his trophies it's just like if a friend came around and said oh can I steal a cigarette and he said sure there's some tobacco on the table Uh, no not that one (laughs) (laughs) one tin you wouldn't want to smoke that one. Yeah. It's, no, it's just an odd trick. Well, yeah. I, I, serial killers take anything and yeah, everything. Yeah, they take shoes, they? they take uh, eyeballs. Yeah, like literally everything. Teeth. So what? his final kill count was how many? Six. Eight. 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 And he was aiming for 12. He was Is aiming that including the babies? 12. Yeah, including Beryl and oh, Geraldine. Right, okay. Okay. The fetus that wasn't technically classed as a murder. Oh, okay. No, it's um. is the house still there or do they bulldoze they the shit out of it? They down. Oh, okay. Um, and there is currently new houses there. Well, where 10 Millington Place is, is a communal garden. Like, the whole plot of it is a communal yeah, garden. Yeah, don't make it into a garden. Yeah. That's the worst <laughs> thing you can make it into. Houses next to it okay. and stuff. Maybe okay. put a car park on it or something. Don't make it into a garden, surely. Car park? Yeah. <laughs> a communal park garden. Park over cons- the dead. It's hard. And, yeah. I mean, in terms of ghosts, it's quite... Hard for a ghost to haunt a car park, I'd imagine. I mean, can get King Henry the Third. Oh, the one who was Ben Reed, Richard. It was Richard. Richard. Yeah, yeah. yeah Ooh, I'm a spooky headlights. Yeah. Christine is done like that. That's another horror film. Stephen King, Dark. No, so I take it he was. You say he was executed. He was. He was yeah. hung, Pentonville Prison. What year was he? Yeah. So in this country, we ex- we used to execute people quite quickly in we America. Did, yeah. Like yeah. they're on death row for years and years, yeah. aren't they? No, but yeah, but in this country, I, I, it's, um... I know we don't have a death penalty nowadays. Nope. But I think back then we did quite. If they didn't appeal or there was no grounds for like medical appeal, like mm. appeals and yeah. stuff, I think it was a pretty shut down case. Do you believe in the death penalty? Bringing that back? Um, I don't know. In mm. some instances, I'm very much like, no. What if they're not guilty? And yep. well, that's always the question, isn't yeah. it? Because if somebody's in prison, life imprisonment, there's always the possibility that they might be found innocent. And yeah, out, but then at the same time, if somebody's done that horrific crime, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think that... Uh, but then I, I'm at the same mentality. I'm like, let them waste away, but don't give them all of the yeah. good things. That... I feel like execution is like literally yep. giving them an easy way out. Yeah. You reckon? Yeah, yeah, because they've not, they're not having to live with their guilt. They're dead at that point. And also, I, I, I don't, when I say test subjects, I don't mean like the physical pumping chemicals into their body. But like, I think, I know like there are people who go to like forensic, like psychiatrists who go to prison and interview them and gain knowledge about the like, mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every kill is different, mm-hmm. and I think that if they're in a prison environment and you learn to weed out what they're telling you because they think that's what you want to hear from the bullshit mm-hmm. and stuff, then it could be good learning techniques and stuff, and we can learn a lot from them to maybe stop. That's true, but the, a lot of the people John Douglas um, interviewed were killed eventually. They it were, wasn't, it wasn't yeah. like they, I mean, no, apart from Ed Kemper, I know, like... but I kind of I don't I think that you can gain so much knowledge from somebody that's true. not killing that's true. them. 
But again, those people still get knowledge and they yeah. could. To me, it's not really a question of morality. I don't really have a problem with executing people. It's, it's a civic question of whether unquestionable guilt, unless the person confesses wholeheartedly. Yeah. And even in that case, is there such thing as unquestionable guilt? Because it might be a co- coerced confession. Or they might be delusional. Or d- yeah. There's extenuating circumstances to any case. You can say, yeah. is this person really guilty? I mean, yeah. even though all the evidence points to them, they probably are, but there's yeah. always a question. Because yeah. the law doesn't confess people on guilt as a totality it's, it's beyond reason beyond reasonable yeah. doubt yeah. that's that's the but the there's benchmark. been times where people who have been viewed as upstanding members of the criminal justice system who fucking lied yeah, there's of course. been cases of that oh yeah and that person that who was prosecuted and found guilty on that criminal justice system's findings could have been killed yeah. and then it turns out 10 years down the line that they're completely innocent because it was all bullshit yeah, yeah i remember an episode of the bill <laughs> the, the bill oh that's a uk quite like sit like well, procedural the, over here the, with detect- the, police. the superintendent in charge he was he was a lying bastard and he got people locked up yeah <laughs> so there's an evidence Oh yeah, mm. a soap opera from the night. Yeah. What what horror movie was this based on, by the way? What Ten Rillington Place oh, okay. two in the beginning, which they're quite dark. They're more they're not horror horror films. They're okay. like serial killer thriller horror films. Oh, okay, I like a bit of those. John Christie's perspective. Oh, okay, cute. It's quite weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Tim Roth plays him brilliantly. Right, we're back. Charlotte told a lovely story about a man who has sex with dead people, and Owen's got a little story he wants to say. Go on, tell I your story. Do. All right. Go on. Has anyone ever heard of the murderer James French? No. Nope. Yes. 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 You have. Uh, I know what he said on his death. Shush, that's yes, ruining the story. Oh. <laughs> All right. So this man was murdered two people in his life. So not the worst person we've spoken not a serial, about. Not even a serial killer. No. So his first one was a hitchhiker, I believe, that he picked up and he murdered. Yes. Male or female? Yes. Female. Yes. All right, uh, let Owen tell the fucking story. <laughs> his story. On his trial, he, he completely admitted to it. He said that he, he admitted, he said he did it, and but for some reason he asked for the death sentence. Okay. Uh, okay. He wasn't. He, he wasn't allowed to get <laughs> to get to get to death row, and was given a life in prison. Okay. So, but wop, wop, wop. <laughs> <laughs> for some reason, after a while of being in prison, he decided he was bored okay. and killed his cellmate. After he was, I think he said that he got, he annoyed him. Okay. Okay. So he killed a cellmate, and during his trial for the second murder, he again completely admitted to it, said he did it, and uh, again asked, "Can I go and can I get?" Killed. One sec, I just want to one, die. One sec, one sec, one sec. Go. Pretty much, yeah. He said he asked for the death sentence again, but this time his wish was granted. Ooh. Oh. He was, oh. So he was put It's nice death. when dreams are fulfilled. It, it is very nice. <laughs> so he was put on death row, and during his time there, he got into the electric chair. Awesome. Can I guess where this... No, can I guess he it. says, I don't want to do it anymore? <laughs> no, it's not. Okay. Uh, so, he, so he's on the electric chair, and he was granted his final last words. Okay. Yep. And he says, and I quote... I like fried chicken. No. It's scary how close you are. I <laughs> really... <laughs> He says, and I quote, How's this for a headline? French fries. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a good Uh, headline. Sounds like a dickhead. I don't know what. That was his last words. That's amazing. I know. I like French fries. What would your last words be, Charlotte? I don't know. 
I'd say something. I'd probably quote Star Trek. I'd say live long and prosper. Yeah. Like I would say I left a million pounds in the and then never end it. Uh, <laughs> and then I'd die. And then they would never die. Steph? Probably like full on rock star, but like peace out, motherfuckers. Yeah, that's it. They cringe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a haunt, you bitches. That'd be mine. Your eyebrows are not equal. <laughs> oh, that's a better one. I like that one. Yeah, that, that one is. Good. You've got a little something in your teeth. Yeah. <laughs> We're here. No, that. <laughs> right. Before we go any further, sorry, Steph, but guys, guys, listen up. Listen, wait, listen Listen closely. You listening? Are you holding on? My ears are alert. We have a Patreon. (gasps) Yeah, so we really appreciate all of you guys that listen, and we love your support and all the comment, amazing comments you give us on like Instagram, Facebook, and everything. Yeah, that's a nice preface before you say we're begging for money. But we are basically begging (laughs) for money because we want to give you guys the best (laughs) podcast that we can possibly give, and we know our sound equipment isn't up to par yet. It looks fancy though. It looks fancy, but it's not the best. So all we ask is is if you guys feel inclined you don't have to it's not a must but if you fancy giving it anything you can find our patreon on crimes groups and coffee podcast and that's over on patreon.com and if you, even if you just want to get buy us a coffee we appreciate that because we yeah. Steph a coffee addict nick got, and owen have hot that. chocolate we, ha- we haven't got tears or anything it's just no. if you like the show and, and fancy yeah. chucking some change at other places yeah we really would appreciate it because our next step is that we also want to visit places. Yeah. Um, but currently we're all a little bit brassic. So anything, like, even if we don't have a coffee that week or we put that money towards going somewhere, that'd be on a Patreon episode for you guys. So you'll have your own little, like, little group on Facebook, as well as the fact that Nick and Owen are setting up the initiative. Which is definitely not a cult. Which is not a cult. I refuse to allow it to be a cult. I swear it's not. It's definitely going to be a cult. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a child a dream to have a cult. But (laughs) they're going to give you guys information on the experiments that they want to conduct as like psychology, as well as like hunting killers and unsolved cases and stuff. We'll all be working on it together, but it's mainly going to be Nick and Owen's baby. Mm -hmm. We're going to work in in a, in a couple, in of, a weeks, couple so. of weeks and, and we cannot wait um but yeah you'll get your uh, the only people that will be on that will be our patreon members so i'm gonna leave it there say so thank you again for all your support yeah. and i think steph's gonna freak me out now so i'll yes. be in the corner and now back in with the paranormal yes mm-hmm. the spooky spook all the we got ghouls going on. All of them. All the ghouls. Or at least one. Okay, so today we are telling the story of Annabelle, or at least the true story. Have any of you guys seen the film yet? Uh, no. Never seen the film. Isn't it linked to the Amityville horror and The Conjuring somehow? Yeah, The Warrens. Mm. Yeah, it's more Because I've heard about The Warrens, and I think they're pathological con artists. Shut up, The Warrens are really? great. Yeah, I do. Ooh. I'm not particularly a fan of horror films, so I, I have no interest in the film. Okay. Um, and I know. Okay. Well, you know the at least the, the the image of the doll that's used for the film. Yes. yes. Like the creepy porcelain doll or thing. Yeah. Okay, so that totally wasn't the image of the yeah. original Annabelle doll. Like, I saw it in a documentary the day. It's kind of like a, a it's really big actually, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. It's like a sort of um, like Rosie and Jim. Do you remember yeah. Rosie and Jim from the nineties? Yeah, absolutely. They like were that... terrifying as well. No, I loved like Rosie and Jim. It's just puppets, puppets. Yeah. Me out a bit. But no, I thought it was. I thought it was a delicate sort of porcelain. 
porcelain doll, but this yeah. thing's like a sort of no. um, it's something actual... you find in a, a little yeah. little charity shop or mm. something. It's a branded doll. It's called the Raggedy Ann doll, and you can still buy them today. They're not. They weren't discontinued or anything like that. No, no, no. You can get a Raggedy Ann doll, but they're a much more. No, I, no, no, no. I know you can. I'm just oh. shaking my head as to uh, say no. All, I don't no. want oh. that. Do I they all come that. with a demon Shut up. doll? You know what you're getting for Christmas. You <laughs> buy me that, you get that shoved up your a hole. <laughs> Do they all have a demon pre-installed? Um, I mean, <laughs> this is this is the first time we've had a, a demon kind of a linked to a Raggedy Ann doll. So okay, <laughs> I don't think everybody had the same experience. I saw that because I, I watched a documentary and they went to the Warrens collection of crap museum. Yeah. It's so tacky. Yeah, it's, it's not, like, so amazing. tacky. We'll get to like the um, the museum in a minute because that okay. features in my story. Okay, so, fair enough. So yeah. So tell us about Annabelle. Let's do this. Let's not. I mean, yeah, we're going to get right into this. <laughs> okay, so in 1970, a mother purchased an antique Raggedy Ann doll. So as I said, a Raggedy Ann was a unstructured material-made doll, which was quite patchworky. I mean, like the whole premise of it was to kind of be like a handmade doll. Yeah, it looks very folky. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it was a mass-produced uh, stuffed doll. It had no armature or anything involved. It was just a plush toy, essentially. And she b- purchased it as a birthday present for her daughter Donna who was preparing to graduate from college um, but obviously this is the US so their college would be our university yeah mm-hmm. yeah. and she was qualifying from a, a nursing degree what a weird gift to buy somebody uh, graduating from college she liked dolls apparently so she uh, liked okay. she liked the plush she had she was one of these people that had like a collection of plushies I just, I just on thought maybe she was like oh, thanks mum this, <laughs> this no, is great she appreciated the uh, okay. she appreciated it and Donna lived with her roommate Angie and Angie again she thought the doll was quite cute because it is it is a cute doll i'm gonna take the fifth it is it is cute so like you i actually have a picture American. of the um the the mass-produced raggedy and doll so this isn't the one do you that's... think it did good for their company or bad for that well, line it's of still dolls. going yeah, true. yeah it's, still, it's going. still going and there is that theory where um where things that are associated with bad instances go up in sales and like, stuff like those that. shoes from yeah. heaven's gate yeah. yeah there you go well not in sales but they went up in value drastically indeed you do so this is a raggedy and doll just as it's it looks slightly different than annabelle why do you yeah. it you hasn't got the... it would look like wendy from wendy's yeah. yeah, American Wendy's, yeah. 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 But There's as you can see, it's just a plush doll. Yeah. 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 Even those kind of dolls freak you out. Especially now I know the story. I thought it story. was just porcelain dolls. Yeah, it's cute. It's cute. It's, it's, it's child's toys, so yeah, it's nothing mm-hmm. too special about it. Donna placed uh, the doll after she, you know, admired it and was like, oh, thank you, Mom. And then placed it at the end of her bed and thought, thought nothing more of it. You know, just kind of placed it, put it in its place, and then that was the end of that. Kicks it to the floor every night. Hmm. Maybe that's yeah. why the demon was pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> Stop kicking me in your sleep. Yeah. <laughs> after a few days, however, the doll started to act weirdly. Dot, dot, dot. At first, the doll just moved, it started to move slightly. So it would only move in like, like slight waves. So it would, arm is, arm would move slightly it would be slightly fallen or slumping to the one side it moved on the bed so like it would go from one side of the bed to the other you know just small movements at each time but as each day passed the movements became more and more noticeable these um these sorts of movements would include um moving from room to room on the furniture it couldn't get up to on its own sometimes they found the doll with their arms folded legs crossed and even standing upright on its feet. Now, as I mentioned earlier, this is an unstructured doll, so it has no armature on the inside, but it was standing upright on its legs, unsupported, and they found it like that. And 
that this girl, she didn't take a degree in lying. No, she was a fully-fledged nurse of helping people. Okay. <laughs> and and both Angie and Donna both found it like this. So it was two people that kind of witnessed the, these strange going-ons. Lolly, your face is a picture right now. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. There was many, many times that uh, Donna would leave the doll on a sofa and then go to work. And then she would actually return back home to then find the doll back up in her room with her door closed on the bed. So the doll had got back, had gone up the stairs onto the bed and shut the door. Essentially, this it sounds like somebody's just messing with her. Like I have this like tiny little Playmobil figure. Fucking Billy. That I just <laughs> right. I just put around Charlotte's house to sort of freak her out, put him in different positions. He's got a he's, <laughs> he's got, got a, a girlfriend. He's got now. a girlfriend now because I found another one. <laughs> <laughs> So and then just, the thing is, though, my mum is assisting him in this. Yeah, it's, like, it just sounds like that. Somebody's just having a having a goof. So when you do this, Nick, do you not tell her that you've done it? And no, of course deny not. that you did it? Yeah, of course. No, I now know that he does it. Because <laughs> no, I saw him around. doing it one day, and I was like, really? It's like, Billy's watching. What did you think <laughs> in the meantime? Like, that he was just possessed and waking No, up I was else. thinking one of my fucking family is being a cock. All right, okay. <laughs> did she have a flatmate? She did. Be... Well, it was only Donna and Angie. So yeah, Angie's Angie, the flatmate. And she could have been messing. She could have been messing. <laughs> so you're not convinced on this yet? Not so far, but okay. no, carry on. There's more to come. There's more to come. It's intriguing. We've got a few pages left yet. Okay. <laughs> so not only could the doll move, she could also write too. A month into the owning of Anne, Donna and Angie began to find notes on paper that they didn't own. So it was on like ye olde parchment paper. And obviously not everybody has ye olde parchment paper to hand. Mm. So they were like, okay, where's the paper that this is coming from? Where, where is it coming from? And the the notes said, help us and help Lou. Now we'll get on to why it said help Lou and who Lou is in a, in a moment. But the handwriting on these notes seemed to be that of a small child. Okay. <laughs> Creepy. Go on, say it. No, say it, Charlotte, say it. Say Save it. For a big one. Say it. Okay. <laughs> if we ever get merch, I don't like it. It's going to be the first thing on a t-shirt. <laughs> I don't like it. That yeah, is your catchphrase now. With a sheep. <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, because she's Welsh. There we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, so the doll was on her second novel. Yes, yeah, so writing notes. One night, Donna came uh, came in from work again to find Anne was not where she last placed her. She found her again on her bed. Only this time when she found her, she felt dread. There was something wasn't right. She inspected the doll to find out what looked to be bloodstains on its hands and chest. From nowhere, there was no other trace of like red staining or blood or anything from anywhere else in the house. It was only on Raggedy Ann's chest and hands. It completely scared them out of their wits. So Donna and Angie contacted a medium. As you do. First port of call. Absolutely. Brilliant. A medium came in and a science was held, which is where they actually found out that the that the doll was being inhabited by a spirit um, which was from a girl called Annabelle Higgins which where the doll got their name from Annabelle Annabelle was a reportedly a seven year old girl whose lifeless body was found on the field where the flats were now resided so where Angie and Donna was now living the spirit communicated and uh, that, that it felt 
got comfort with Do- uh, with Donna and Angie. So Donna essentially gave it permission to stay. Um, she was like, okay, I feel really sorry for this little girl. She well, even after say, the blood? Even after the blood, yeah. Uh, yeah. My first instinct would be like, no, get the fuck out of my house. Yeah, no. Don't. no I mean, if you had a roommate who you found, you walked in and they were covered in blood. Yeah. Would you let them stay? Um, <laughs> me it personally, does. maybe not. <laughs> Depends on the blood. If it's real blood. Well, let's assume it's human. No. Okay. <laughs> Just straight out. No. If it's animal blood, again, no. If it's fake human blood, possibly because I've been friends with Steph way too long for it not to be the possibility I mean, that it's fake human blood. I mean, yeah, I am. No, we're talking. We're right talking now. about actual blood here. Yeah. I don't no. Th- yeah. I don't think you'd let a roommate stay. So I don't know why you'd let a, a creepy a, doll, creepy possessed spirit. <laughs> yeah. But no, they were all up for it. They were yeah, like, okay, brilliant. I'm so yeah, sorry. Of so after this, after this seance, the um, Annabelle essentially kind of gave Donna and Angie the sense of you know it was it's all all is good in the hood sort of thing brilliant, um, brilliant. wow good reference you're welcome guys wow if she said that even better <laughs> just got a note all is good in the hood yeah. <laughs> wow unfortunately the doll did not practice what it preached <laughs> i what? don't know why that's funny but <laughs> it is it's, i don't know it just just the, the phrase the, the doll didn't practice what it I don't preached that's the reason that tickled me I'm full of those. So now we get on to Lou. So as I said earlier, the notes that one of the notes that Annabelle actually left said help Lou. So Lou was actually Angie's fiance and he did not like the Annabelle doll from the start. It just gave him the creeps. He just had this off sort of feeling about it. As you probably would. Probably because it was in the room while they were having sex and he was just, just staring over and it's just like <laughs> No, 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 no. Donna is the lady who's I know, but he doll. can transport it around around the flat, yeah. can't it? Yeah. It, it made its round. It's watching. Having a little peek. I'm watching. <laughs> so the be- the doll did not like that Lou did not like her. She didn't she didn't she didn't appreciate that. So one night Lou was asleep in the flat. He woke up from a reoccurring nightmare, but he was paralyzed. He looked down da- he looked around and he just couldn't see anything. He couldn't find anything out of the ordinary. He was just like, Oh shit, I'm paralyzed. Maybe this is you know, this isn't normal. I'm a bit sleep paralysis. And he just kind of couldn't figure out what was going on until he looked at his feet. (laughs) Why are you so freaked out by this? It is a bit creepy, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, it's, I mean, obviously, you two believe in spooks and stuff. I mean, I guess that's it. Maybe that's the thing I'm missing. That's all there's there is to say. (laughs) But no, it's an interesting story, Karen. Yeah, here we go. So he looked at his feet. And what did he find at his feet? A spider. I mean, not quite. (laughs) There was Annabelle. Yes. Dun dun. Annabelle then proceeded to slyly, slowly glide up his leg and Oh my god, where's chest. this going? Oh, I thought she was going to toss him off or something. No, not quite, not quite. What? I like this where you go with well, this. Well, you said gently slide up his leg. Yeah. That was, that was going somewhere. <laughs> so she left his genitals alone. Carry on. She start. did leave his genitals alone. So she, yeah, she glided up his leg and then onto his chest and then stopped. And then there was a moment of like, uh, okay. <laughs> Within seconds, the doll tried to strangle him. Unable to move and nearing the point of asphyxiation, uh, Lou blacked out. Wait, and then... what, 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 what? What? Doll's hands are like squishy. Yeah. 
Unless they're possessed. How the fuck is that? No, but they're squishy. It's possessed. If it can stand up on it, its legs and we, have no arm. We talked about a few weeks ago how much force it takes to strangle somebody. Yeah. It's possessed. How much I mean... Do you understand what possession is? Possession is when the demon is in the doll and the doll is yeah, going but... to kill you. Ah, you know, we demon... don't know if it's a demon as of yet. But, but even if it is... A... The little girly ghost. Even yes. if it is a demon, it can only work with what it's got. Yeah. I mean... I mean, I suppose it's, it's possessing a, a doll. It's still a doll. Yeah. It's a supernatural force. Yeah. I mean, you could say that about <laughs> Don't it. say that like it's a fact. <laughs> Don't fact. say that with there such certainty. Science. Do not say that with such certainty. <laughs> Don't care. All I'm pointing out I is that a doll's you, little slishy, swishy. No, it is supernatural. <laughs> okay. It did stand up on its legs though when it had no armature. So like he does have some kind of rigid, 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 rigidality, <laughs> rigidity. Rigidity. There we go. There we go. So yeah, he was nearing the point of asphyxiation, and as we've said before, you can't be nearly asphyxiated. There is a certain point of breakage in the neck when when that kind of thing occurs. The thorax, indeed, you do. And he blacked out. Um, although he woke up the next morning and he was certain it wasn't a dream. So it... I just like your phrase, and Annie blackout. Is that what you just said? <laughs> <laughs> Annie blackout. That was me Englishing really well. <laughs> okay. English, good. Okay, so that couldn't be put down to a night terror. That's he. He well, claims that is that him or his girl. Claim. That's him. That's him. That's okay. just him. But unfortunately, this was not the only experience that Lou had with this doll. Lou had one more experience when Donna and Angie were preparing for a road trip in another room. He heard rustling from Donna's room. Thinking that somebody had broken in, he went to investigate. When he entered the room, he saw that Annabelle was on the floor in the corner of the room. As he neared the doll, he had a strong feeling that somebody was behind him. So he was kind of like looking over his shoulder. It was just sort of like, there's something a bit odd around here. But he turned around to see that nobody was there. Unfortunately, quite suddenly and soon after, he grabbed his chest and then started screaming in pain. He doubled over and found blood seeping from his shirt. He lifted it to see what was there and he found seven distinct marks. Three were vertical and four were horizontal. Like, so three were on his chest and four were on his stomach. They burnt. They kind of went quite quickly. So the next morning they had half gone and then two days later they had completely disappeared. So as I'm sure you guys know, that shit does not go in two days, which was odd. Next page. Charlotte thought so far. <laughs> I like it. Owen <laughs> bollocks. Really? Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean it's, people can easily just say these things. I mean, yeah, but I can, there's, okay. there's some more damning evidence. Okay. Well, let's let's let's. I, I mean, let's I could easily in. say that something in my room just moved towards me, and you would all believe me. But the scratches, though. No, Owen, stop. We've got more evidence. We've got more. Well, there is more to come. Don't more to close your mind. Come. Yeah. Free your mind. What's that from? The Matrix. That's it. There we go. So, this is where the Warrens came in. So, Lily, do you want to give us a brief overview on who the Warrens are? You've got Ed and Lorraine Warren. I could do this bit. This yeah. bit comes you down. Go right. on. They are. Lorraine Warren is a psychic, and Ed Lauren is a demonologist. And they go around. Well, they went around America and collect any spooky dooky shit such as they went to the Amityville house they helped rid the house of the demons and then they've gone where else did they go uh, a bit all over the well place, they've even they? come over to the UK they went to the Enfield haunting mm-hmm. and then helped sort that out as well yeah so. can I give my description of the Warrens are they is it lying bastards a pair of self-important liars there we go who made a career out of charlatanism Warrens are awesome yeah they're, they're, I'd like to say they're pretty badass and they come up higher in the hierarchy 
Loki, as we'll get on to in a second. So, um, yeah, as you just said, the Warrens are um, supernatural sort of um, uh, specialists, essentially. After Donna had uh, contacted the, now bear with me on this, the Episcopal Priest. Episcopal? Oh, Episcopal. I don't want to pronounce it. Episcopal. Wait, wait. Let me have another It's coming, it's coming. Episcopal. Episcopal. No, no, I'm not going to get it. I know how to pronounce it in my mind. Let me read it. Um, second, second. Say again. Episcopal. There we go. Episcopal. I thought it was Episcoparian. No, that's a fish. No, that's. Oh, we're getting hung up on this. (laughs) A word that is religion that begins with an e. Yeah, he like you know, he's a high up in the hierarchy. Episcopal. No. Um, I'm not. I'm going to give up. Okay, <laughs> okay. we'll go with it. We'll go with that. So uh, it was a priest named Father Hegan Hogan. Oh, he Hegan Hagen. Sorry. Wow, what a name! In, indeed. Hegan Hogan. Hegan Hogan. And he thought that this was a spiritual matter, so he contacted a higher authority in church, which was Father Cook, who immediately contacted the Warrens. Which I think is absolutely hilarious that it goes from priest to like basically the Pope to then the Warrens. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was the Pope. I think it was probably an Archbishop. I mean, wow, the Warrens somebody... have got their finger on the pulse of uh, spiritual yeah. spooks. Yeah, yeah. Even the clergy. Get in there. So Ed and Lorraine Warren came in and expected, inspected the doll and concluded that it wasn't so much as a possessed by a child, but more like an inhuman, uh, inhuman demonic presence. Spirits do not possess toys, more actual people. So they concluded that, that, the, that the presence posed as a human and to eventually gain human human possession so it was a sneaky demon basically so did they ruin the conclusion then of the, the previous medium or psychic who said that it was of a well, was it a small girl yeah so we'll get into that specifically in a moment okay so they concluded that this uh, this demon was going through the infestation stage of possession oh that's a good stage that's mm. a good sounding stage there you go it's, it's yeah, cute isn't it it's like got that. a ring to it at first it levitated to get the attention of the of the people that were around the area they brought in the psychic that, that housed the, the community the demons then preyed on the girl's emotions with the the little girl's story and convinced Donna to allow it to stay in the flat to carry on haunting. So she essentially gave this demon permission to carry on doing its shit. Okay. And that would then prepare for the last stage of de- demonic infestation, which would then be the human possession and or would have killed if it had been left in the house for a few more weeks to its own devices. It would have killed somebody. Yeah, it would have killed somebody in the end. AKA Lou. Wait, yeah. so... It had been there for quite a long time. Time. Yes, it was there for a few months. So Donna was the one who was allowing. Yes. To do it. So in other words, Donna was doing all this herself. Oh no 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 Absolutely. The Warrens recited an exorcism that was by Father Cook and focused on filling the house with light, uh, with God's light, rather than to damn the demon back to hell and whatnot. I must sage it out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They tried to peaceful sorry? approach. Sage it out. Is that the opposite of an exorcism? So it's like no, witchy it's like kind a, of. It's a witchy exorcism. Yeah. It's like blessing the house, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This house is clean. Is it so called saging because you I use sage? I was to it. Is oh, it okay. called saging because you use a sage? I know they yeah. burn yeah. those sometimes. Yeah, burn sage, yeah. 
Indeed. Yeah. I'm going to stage it out. What's that film where they do that? There's this lots. house is clean, oh. is from Poltergeist, and they stage it out in Poltergeist. Oh, I can't remember. There's a film. There's a lots. There's lots where stage is used. So the Warrens actually took the doll away with them when, once they'd been and assessed the whole situation. And unfortunately, on their drive home, the Warrens actually encountered nearly, um, nearly head-on collisions. Oh, I heard about this. Yeah. yeah. Power searing and brake failure, repeatedly reoccurring um, and and verging on collisions. Ed actually reached into the back of the car where the doll was in a black bag, which I suppose it wouldn't have liked at that specific that point. And he doused it in holy water and drew a cross on it. And the commotion then stopped and uh, they actually got home safely after that. So that was a good that was a good call. And then the Warrens, once they actually did get it home, they had exactly the same problem. Levitating, finding it in different rooms, etc. Until one day, Father Jason Bradford came to bless the house. He kind of got annoyed with it because he sort of was like, no forces better or bigger than God and and whatnot. So he got on his high and mighty horse and well, I think as an exorcist you have to you have to have that presence yeah. well, throw it about you and have to have that it. conviction you are no you know you know, it won't be a very good exorcist please please Jesus <laughs> doesn't like you here <laughs> it doesn't like you here I would kindly appreciate you need to give it to the full power of God that kind of thing I mean yeah I guess well he definitely gave it the full well, power of God and it didn't like it <laughs> so he so yeah he's, he picked up the doll and then so you're just a rag doll Annabelle you can't hurt anyone and then threw it onto the chair Edward Ed, Ed, Ed Warren was like oh shit what did you do that for don't do that not cool I really liked if he was like oh shit <laughs> yeah. he, he basically good. just sat there and looked in amazement and was like I can't believe you've just done that to to Annabelle like that, you just don't do that <laughs> as a person who doesn't believe any of this is real I would love to have been in the room really? during all this it would have been so funny <laughs> just to just see this priest guy just yeah, having, yelling argument. yelling at this ragdoll <laughs> it would have been really funny you and, then the, and then the one guy in the back that does believe oh shit <laughs> it would be really funny to watch shit's gonna go down so yeah uh, after that the father drove home um, after the whole incident unfortunately though he had a head on collision that nearly killed him but Ooh. it did total his car that was just one event over the years of, of the torment that the Warrens had experienced with the doll now this next one was interesting so the Warrens eventually put the doll in a glass cabinet in their museum of the occult so this is their museum that they have full of their spooky shit that they and have that museum is so tacky it looks really cool that it no it doesn't really cool. it, it does, doesn't it does. It does. It doesn't. It, does. it looks it really it like I love Victorian specimen collections. So when you see Victorian museums, yeah. all the collections they have and stuff, it just looks sort of a reverence for the object. This just looks like tacky shit. But it's all and haunted the and no. And they're there to tell the but story. But it's just like a jumble set. It's all over the place, and it's like, oh, this is a haunted trombone. Toothbrush. This is a haunted um, uh, uh, stapler. <laughs> It's just jotted all over the place. It's It's... haunted. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So yeah, they put it into um, a cabinet. So I have have some pictures. Reference. I'm good. Yeah, I've seen the cabinet, but it's cool. I like it. It's a nice cabinet, actually. Well, first of all, I'll show you this. So this is Lorraine <coughs> with Annabelle. So this is her taking her away from the from the situation. So this is Lorraine. She's like, I'm going to take you home. Why are they being so nice to her after trying to kill them, allegedly? It didn't try to kill them yet. Well, the car crash. Yeah, yeah the car no, crashed the whole time. she's taking it on the way then. That's when she's leaving oh, the original right, house. Okay. So this is the little box that they've put it in. So this is a Yoldi photo because it's in black and white. So It still looks exactly the same though, doesn't it? It is. Well, it's just a raggedy hand on. I suppose that doesn't really change. Yeah, no, so I the, mean the box. is The cabinet's still the same today, isn't yes. it? Yes. 
yes. So um, the the whole thing was blessed, and it's got a cross above it. It's actually got a devil's um, tarot card next to it as well. Yeah, nobody seems to know where that came from. I heard what the devil car- the tarot card. Yeah, some a, a, a tarot card just appeared on the side, but nobody knew who put it there. Okay, that's what I I heard. I feel like Lolly's got an interjection at this point. No, I know, it, I know. I'm agreeing with Nate. Nobody yeah. knows where it comes from. Oh, okay. I can't. I, I, I must mean, admit, it was I somebody. Didn't... Somebody put it there. Obviously. Yeah. I don't think it, it was fucking Annabelle. Yeah, I want to say it was something more to do with like a a, a sign for people rather than a, a a mysterious thing that just appeared sort of thing. I'm okay. saying it's Annabelle. Yeah, because like you want to you want to you know show people that it's a demon. So what's the best thing than a demon tarot card? I guess write demon on it. On the <laughs> case, this is a demon. <laughs> That would be better. Devil tarot that card, would though. be better. <laughs> they did have it. Does have a sign that says "positively do not touch," which most people ignored anyway. So yeah, yeah. This last incident was uh, is a little bit kind of creepy as well. So yeah, the Warrens put it in a in, in a glass cabinet and they stored it away. And essentially, it was on it was just on display in their in their museum. She no longer appeared to move, but she was said to be the cause of death of a young man that came into the museum on a motorcycle with his girlfriend just to visit the place after hearing the doll's story he went up to the glass and banged on it demanding that he scratched him so he was kind of like I don't believe you're real or if you're if you can scratch then please scratch me although it was probably more less nice polite yeah and the Warrens asked him to leave because again he was like uh you just don't do that no he was being a right dickhead I'm not saying he deserved to die well maybe a bit <laughs> impoliteness is one of the worst things you can do I always think yeah. but he just sounds like a dickhead yeah he was a bit kind of like well come on then mm. it was a bit odd unfortunately though on their drive back um, after they'd been escorted from the museum they were laughing about the doll they completely were sort of like ha like I don't believe that's real completely utter bullshit unfortunately though they did they did incur um, a a head on um, collision it was him and his girlfriend wasn't it yeah Yeah. they had a head on collision with a tree he died instantly but his girlfriend was hospitalised for a year afterwards spooky the Warrens have since been offered millions of pounds for the doll so like they've been offered like money for this doll for people that want it in their private collection but they always say that it would be completely irresponsible to sell it to the public no but they're willing to charge why the fuck would you willingly buy that but they're willing to charge entrance to the museum to go and see it it's well, yeah, I suppose it's if like it's locked that and keyed. Re- if it's that evil, you'd think they'd put it somewhere away, wouldn't you? Well, in a glass cabinet. Let's play a glass cabinet or on display. <laughs> on display or destroy it. But how do you know that the demon then won't go into another toy? Because no. they are dead now, the Warrens, aren't they? No, Ed's no. not. Lorraine oh, is he not? Is. Lorraine is. Ed's not. Oh, I thought they were both dead. No. Well, that's a nice little cash cow, isn't it? <laughs> Even well, if they... it is, I'm not it's, I'm taking whether I think demons are real or not. Even if it is a demon, that's a nice little cash cow they got going. He's got going. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's there. I mean, but to be honest, though, if it was going to be a cash cow, I think he would have accepted the two million dollars he was. Yeah, but that's uh, yeah, it's small. That's thinking short term. <laughs> Get all that demon money over a long period of time. No, <laughs> gonna be there for a while. <laughs> Your face right now, Ali, it's amazing. <laughs> well, you want to say something? No, she doesn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, guys, that's the story of Annabelle in a nutshell. I'm gonna search the room now. Yeah, absolutely. It's a little bit scroopy, scroopy, spooky. Do you not think? Are you, are you bored? Are you bored? No. Really? 
I won't look bored. <laughs> Is that no, I wasn't bored. No, it wasn't bored. bored. No, I, you know what bored. I mean, like the whole ugh, yeah, it's a paranormal like, uh, bored kind of thing. Was like, I just, no, there's a reasonable explanation for it. But what though? I think the reasonable explanation is that her roommate and her boyfriend decided to wind her up. Yeah, someone was fucking with her. And did all that, and then I, I, I'm sort but of iffy deaths. about the warrants. Yeah, but concert, you attribute things well, to that that they're completely not linked to it. I mean, Do you like, think it's completely coincidental? Well, yeah, because when you you have like a belief system like that, you'll you'll start linking things to it. Okay. I just I don't see that. I don't see that as any evidence. I think it's a it's a cool story. I do think it's a cool story. Can you see why there's a horror film based on and, it? Yeah, and I don't like the Warrens as their professional careers, but you know, God bless them for weaving interesting stories about things. <laughs> I guess, but no, I I don't Not I don't see either. see anything there, Charlotte. Okay, Charlotte. <laughs> when was, was this actually? Yes. When did this happen? Uh, so the 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 doll was originally bought in the seventies, right? Because sto- all right, it's not that long ago. Because stories no. can be like like oh, what's that? Like um, Chinese whispers. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Chinese whispers. Yeah, but when it kind of dilates after yeah, a while. So the, what what we what you now know is this story mm-hmm. is not actually what happened. Yeah, Lorraine kept very very detailed diaries. Indeed, you do because it was a highly active doll essentially. No, she had highly active roommates. <laughs> <laughs> no, I meant all. <laughs> so how does the the I've never seen Annabelle the film how does that differ from the actual well, let's call it the actual events how does well I've differ? not actually seen the film itself because again I'm actually really shit terrified of like jumpy horror films because isn't Annabelle but, in The Conjuring in like case yes, in the basement she does yeah. kind of show up in the beginning of The Conjuring well, I thought The Conjuring was based on a true story quotation yeah, marks yeah. but they a... never how can it be if the, the, the Annabelle dolls in the basement was, or is that just a bit of creative license like, I think they used a, a, a few real yeah. stories to, oh, right, to make okay. The Conjuring but Okay, Annabelle's purely good. based on the doll. So is Annabelle but, a spin-off of the Conjuring? Yeah. So how do I uh, go back yeah. to my question? How does it differ from from the the real accounts? Of so Annabelle? they completely just dramatised it, really. But the way that the main difference that I found in the film that they used was they had Annabelle the doll as like porcelain a, doll, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's definitely a porcelain doll. It's a lot creepier. It's not. It's mm-hmm. a more structured thing. But also they they sort of have two different things in the film. So they have Annabelle the doll that does all the creepy shit. But then when it comes out to the jumpy parts, it turns into a little girl that jumps out and is not a doll it's the spirit I guess like but the again, ring almost yeah absolutely but again that's kind of playing on the, the fact that it's a spirit of a little girl not a demon that's posing as a little girl are the Warrens in Annabelle? Yeah. I don't I've know seen... I can't have yeah, you seen yeah. it? yeah are they? because it's um, I can't remember the actress's name but I've seen her in quite a few things yeah, so I can't him, remember um... they're both well known actors yeah, yeah. Quite but I would like to see it I'd like to see the film I, like, I quite like The Conjuring you the can person. watch that Annabelle on your own okay? okay nope <laughs> no The Conjuring I, I think we should sit down and record ourselves watching it that would be awesome or a group watch I can't yeah. watch those short shits on my own no we scream so like we yeah. can't the watch them together I've, I honestly, I've never watched a film that's, that scared me or spooked yeah, me yeah the unborn really no never I've never had games oh video games the yeah unborn. god yeah I hate jump scary video games and creepy video games I, I think can't, a jump scare is a really, a really cheap way of scaring but they're effective they are yeah, effective they're not, they're not, they're not, yeah the thing is though, like, I don't like crab walking at all yeah, yeah. yeah and me and Steph watched the unborn and the only other together. person together the only other person in my house was my brother and we screamed that loud my brother thought somebody was murdering us my throat hurt well, did he film. come down he came down out of his bedroom with his headphones off he heard a 
just over his headphones because <laughs> he was playing a video game and he got just over the headphones and came down to make sure that we weren't actually being murdered. Did and he or did caught... he just come down to tell you to shut up? No, he came down to make sure we were okay and yeah. then go, oh, we'll just fucking stop watching horror films. Mm-hmm. Like... No, it's so funny. The creepiest film I've ever watched is called Playmate of the Apes. <laughs> <laughs> are we all like, are we all um, freaked out right now? Yeah. Or are we all just yes, kind of completely freaked out? <laughs> it was a sure. good one. <laughs> You're just like, no, no, not at sure. all. Nick and Owen are like, hell no. No, I'm not convinced. Well, I thought it was creepy. It was yeah, creepy as hell. But that was fun. It was yeah. good. It was like a microwave. Oh, so is it on my couch? No, it was a bit creepy. So, and that will be on a t shirt one day. One day. <laughs> with a sheet. So I think that's us done for this yeah. week. And next week, Owen's not with us because we've got Rich with us instead. And I'm being Nick's- kicked out. He's been kicked out. <laughs> He's not welcome for this bit. Um, and it's Nick and Rich's because Rich is covering the Mothman. The what? The Mothman. Oh, the Moth- Man. I thought yeah. you said Muffman. Oh no, M- no. Mothman. Not the Mothman. I'm not sure who Nick's covering yet. He won't tell me. No, not yet. No. So best is yet to come. I think we're gonna leave it there. Awesome. And I'm gonna inspirational quote, Steph. Oh shit! No, go to somebody else first. Hold on. Owen, stay in school, kids. Nick, nothing. Um, rise up, join the. F- fight, defend your rights. And that's not a poster that we've got in this room right now. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to just say, stay spooky, don't conform. Fabulous. And I'll see you guys later. Cheers, guys. Bye. 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 No, no, no. Is that it? I wanted to listen to more horror and gore. No. Let them carry on with their day. If they want to find us, they can find us on Facebook at Crime Clips and Coffee Podcast. Twitter at CCNC Podcast. Instagram at Crime underscore Creeps underscore and underscore Coffee underscore Podcast. If they want to listen to more, they can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Castbox, and all podcast apps. But for now, before she interrupts again, I think we should say goodbye. Bye!